0: This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is Ollie Allerton, former Royal Marine Commando in the UK, went through SAS selection and became part of the SBS, the Special Boat. Service. Incredible guy. His autobiography is right here. It's called Breakpoint. And we talk about something that happens early on in this book here. And it is he was attacked by a chimpanzee at age 10. Insane story. Um, but incredible guy. And we talk about his uh, time in Northern Ireland, the first Gulf War, going to the SDV school in Coronado, California. His time as a contractor in Iraq that overlaps with my time there and his transition out of the military into the private sector to what he's doing today, which is uh, writing these books and through his company, Breakpoint, and also Starring in S.A.S. Who Dares wins, which is a uh, phenomenal success around the world. Incredible guy. So happy to get to talk to him for a little bit on the podcast. And now, without further ado, Holly Allerton. So I've started with this. I started, you know, with this. I mean, I knew who you were from mutual friends and from the show and social media and all that that sort of a thing. Um, And then I read this one. And breakpoint. Hmm. Oh, by the way, the picture, like this picture, and then the one that's on your website that has, I think it's this, but it's kind of like a little more artsy, you know, in the background, like a yeah. painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's legit. Like, yeah, that's amazing. And that's all dot com. People should go check out that photo because that, yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. see that, and that's Absolutely. powerful. That is really powerful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's, uh, this is such an honest, look at, I mean, your life, uh, your time in the military, your childhood, um, your, mm. your entire journey. And at that, of course, today resonates so much more than it would have, let's say yeah. 40 years ago, because now you can check, you know, now with social media, you can check up on people and, and all of that sort yeah. of thing. So, I mean, uh, that honesty resonates and it, it certainly did with me, um, especially accepting that short-term discomfort for long-term gain in here. I mean, that really resonated, but I do want to talk to you. I want to start off with something. It was like in chapter two or three and I'm reading it and I went back and I'm like, what on earth is going on here? And that's the chimpanzee attack at age (laughs) age 10.
1: How did I know that you're going to talk about that? That's
0: everyone's question. I know, because you read it and you're like, wait a sec, wait, what? Like, like that's just, huh? (laughs) And uh, so- Yeah. For people that uh, that haven't read the book yet, can you uh, can you
1: talk about that and it and, and how it impacts you still today? Yeah, and, and it's funny because everyone that um, kind of reads the book, you know, they think everything else is real, but they go, "But the chimp bit was—is that real?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man, that is, that is real." And the reason that's so significant to me, Jack, is the fact I can't remember life before that occurrence. You know, life, and because it was so traumatic as a ten-year-old, I can't remember life pre-10 years old. Wow. And really for me, for those listening, just to give you a snapshot, um one day we were going down to we we're just going swimming one day, a local town, and um we came across the circus on the way to the swimming baths. Um we went into this we asked if we could have a look around. This was 1980. There was no health and safety. You could wander around a circus with wild animals. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um and um you know we said can we have a look around this yeah help yourself I being an inquisitive little 10-year-old separated from my brother and his best mate and went to the other side of the canvas in the big top, looked through the canvas, and saw something in front of me which was absolutely amazing. And that was that was the chimp, the little baby chimp sat there. Now, for me, I'd been watching Tarzan every day of the summer holidays. I was addicted to Tarzan. That for me was like females seeing George Clooney naked <laughs> in the middle of this open expanse. You know, it was cheetah. And I was like, whoa, I was brought up with cats and dogs, but this was like a, a real live chimp sat there. So I was compelled to go over to it. Before I knew it, this chimp is actually feeding me its own food. And I'm like thinking, I'm not going to have that. It's disgusting, but there's no way I was going to break the serenity of that moment. And I was I was just getting the food and sliding it down my sort of face, throwing it over my shoulder. And it was, it was a beautiful moment. It was timeless. It was something I'll never forget, but I'll also never forget what happened afterwards. And that serenity was broken like a fighter jet cutting through the skies. I heard a roar that I'll never forget to this day. And I saw then in the shadows something moving. It was clearly uh, mummy or daddy that was not happy that I was with its young, uh, saw me as a threat and headed to me at Mac 10. Um, and my feet were glued to the floor. I was like, Jesus Christ, what is happening? You know, this thing is coming at me, Mac 10. And I'm like, I can't move. Um, and just at the point I, I thought, I better, I better move. This thing pounced through the air, twenty foot through the air. The blue sky turned to black. It landed on my chest, pinned me to the floor, and it just started going mental. The first fist came down, blew all the wind out of me, and it was knocking the shit out of me. And then it started to bite me. There was blood flying everywhere. My life flashed in front of me. It didn't take long because I was ten, um, and uh, at that point, I knew I needed to do something. And um, it was that instinct. It wasn't a thought. It was instinct. I managed to move my body enough to get my knee up to my chest. I smashed out as hard as possible, not the chimp to the floor. Um, I then had a few seconds to get out of there and I was scurrying across the floor, across the ground, looking at this chimp, get back to its feet. It then came at me on its final attack, even angrier than before. And I kid you not, a, a hair away from my nose and the chain caught it. It couldn't get any further to me. If it wasn't for the chain, I wouldn't be telling a story. It certainly wouldn't be in a book. Um, And that, for me, typifies breakpoint. It's that short-term, that was my first breakpoint. It would not be my last, but it was that short-term discomfort for long-term gain. Short-term discomfort was taking the fight to a grown chimp at 10. And the long-term gain of that was the fact I lived to tell the tale. And really that is the whole concept of breakpoint is the fact that you know it's not about going to a circus and getting attacked i don't want anyone to do that but it's the fact that the way we're wired we're wired to take short-term comfort and that leads to long-term pain to be quite honest the majority of people on this planet would happily sit under the chimp and you know probably not be here after something like that had happened it's just a, an analogy if you want to call it that
0: man i mean that is a crazy experience yeah uh, at age 10 and then to not mm-hmm. have any memories before that because it's so traumatic, gosh. Yeah. So between that, so what changed for you after that? I mean, your your dad leaves when you're fairly young, um, but you're attracted yeah. to the military. You're reading. I think you're reading a lot of the same things that I was that I was reading. Yeah. And I grabbed a couple of yeah. them off my shelf. No one. I i be surprised if anybody remembers these guys. Combat um, and Survival. I can't
1: believe it. No way. Yeah.
0: That's how it all st- that's how it started. I've got that to blame. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Combat and Survival, What it takes to fight and win. Like I remember these books there were a few of them out there at the time. Yeah. Uh, this one too. This was the uh, the Commandos right here. Um uh, but there was a few yeah. of these books that came out in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know a few more trickled in, you know, throughout that that decade. Uh, here's an SAS yeah. one right here. I like this one here, Ghost right here, Illustrated History of the S.A.S. Yeah. So I was reading, I think, some of those same ones and some of those same magazines, The Soldier of Fortune mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and Gung Ho and all these spinoffs that they had during the 80s. But, uh, but what happened to you between that age 10, between that chimp attack and then when you joined the military uh, personally? Yeah, well, what, what was the that interesting
1: journey like? Thing like? Yeah, so, sorry, the interesting thing about that, Jack, is the fact that that was 1980 when I got attacked by the chimp. Now, people ask me a question, and I can't, it's a rhetorical, and that is, do you think you'd have made it into the special forces past SAS selection if you'd not have been attacked by the chimp? And it's a really good question, because that sent me on a bit of a crazy journey after that. Now, it's quite interesting to note that the same year that I got attacked by the chimp is the same year that the SAS stormed the Iranian embassy in London. And I saw that on TV. And, you know, Margaret Thatcher, who was the prime minister at the time, actually said that, because usually they would cover that up so the public couldn't see it, but she wanted the world to see the capability of our soldiers, almost like a deterrent. And I saw that. And I think that sort of, there was a seed that was planted Mm -hmm. in that year. For me, after that time, I went on a, you know, I was very different to my brother and sister. I was a crazy little teenager. I got into loads of trouble. I was like pushing the envelope big time, getting in trouble with the police. I I just wanted to be in danger all the time. You know, it's, it's a, it's a thing I've, I've managed to cure that now, Mm -hmm. which is, which is good. But for me, I wanted to be at the sharp end all the time and I was pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And I ended up getting in trouble with the police. Um, and uh, I went to a remand home, actually, and I, I avoided a custodial sentence, which was a big wake-up call for me. And at that point, my mum, whose life was pretty much broken at that time, my dad had left. Um, and, um, you know, although her life was falling apart, she, she realized I needed her at that moment. So she made sure that all my energy, um, and I had loads of it, um, as you do, was then focused into my sport and everything, athletics, you know. And then it was at that point when I was 13, 14, that I said, right, that's it. I'm joining the military, start to do some research, read those books exactly like you. They've just shown me combat and survival was, I used to fantasize over being a soldier. And, um, you know, it was at that point, 14 years old, I can remember at school, I was, I was good at school. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I got that interest in the military, I went, what is the point of all this? Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand it. I was like, I'm joining the military. I'm going to join the Royal Marine Commandos. So that is me set for life. And, uh, that, which is a pretty bold statement to say at 14. Yeah. Um, and, and that was it, you know, that was, my heart was set on that. My dream and everything was set on joining the Royal Marines. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting cause I went to the careers office. This is, uh, this is, was, my mum used to take me to the careers office quite often. I actually couldn't join at 16, which I think is a good thing. I think 16 <laughs> is so young for yeah. a soldier, man. Um, and, um, because of my criminal convictions, they said, look, it's better if you wait a couple of years, then you don't have to have it on your record. So Uh, I waited till I was 18, finally got in, but I can remember going to the careers office and the woman in there was, uh, you know, interviewing me. She says, if you do pass raw Marine commando training, which is, I'm going to say the hardest in the UK, Uh, you know, some people would say different, but you know, we'll go with it. Let's go with it. Yeah, the hardest in the UK, 32 weeks of absolute pain. She said, if you do pass that, what do you want to do? What skill do you want to, you know, what, what specialization do you want to do? I opened the magazine and there it was. It was a, a, a swimmer delivery vehicle, mini sub, mm-hmm. um, with a combat swimmer swimming from that delivery vehicle. And I said, I want to do that. And she looked at me, rolled her eyes and laughed. And it was like, everybody wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was almost like the seed. It was almost like that thing was running through me all, all the way through my life. It was like, as soon as someone told me it can't be done, mm-hmm. it's like a red flag to a bull. you know. So little did I know at that time, that was the seed that was sown then at the careers office about um, actually joining the special forces. And I'm sure we're going to go into that, but you know, that thing I saw in the magazine was the last thing I actually did before I left the Special Forces. I did that. I was an SDV pilot. Yeah. And I did that actual picture that I saw in the magazine. You so it's did quite- it.
0: Quite an interesting story. Yeah, it's amazing, I mean, It's used to show like the, the power of popular culture in movies and then in things like that, like the nonfiction side of the house and these yeah. types of books and magazines where you see that, it, it gives you that spark and you're like, whatever that is, that yeah. resonates with me and I want to do yeah. that. I mean, it's so important. I mean, you're doing the same thing to, to a generation right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of yeah. strange to, to think about it. And this last book tour of mine, I had people coming up and said, you know, I, I think that I, my first book came out yesterday, but it was really 2018. Uh, and so people that were 16 yeah. at the time, you know, are you know are now tw- yeah. 20ish. Um, and people came up to me and said, "I joined the military because I read your book and I followed you on social media." and all that. In the back yeah. of my head, I kind of, you know, thought that people may at some point, but to have it, someone actually come up and tell you in your face uh, that they did that because of you they made this yeah. life choice. It's like, oh man, yeah. but but you're doing that now and those people who wrote these uh, magazine articles and took those pictures mm-hmm. and put them places and yeah. put those movies up there that we watch, like they yeah. did the same thing for for us and it's, you know, it's so important because uh-huh. today kids, I think, especially today with all the distractions out there, so many more distractions obviously than when we were young, yeah. um, they need they need people to look up to. You know, and you're, you're one of those guys, you know, and I'm glad that you're out there.
1: uh, You know what? I think really, you know, when it comes to the sort of, obviously we've got some, some quite decent fame and notoriety from the TV show and everything else, you know, and it's, which has given us that platform. But I feel me personally, anyway, speaking for myself, that I've got a duty to use that voice in a positive way. Yeah. You know, it's this is not about me. It's not about stroking my ego. It's about, you know, a lot of people say, you know, there's a lot of people out there saying, Oh, that should have been me. I've got more experience than you and all this blah, blah, blah. And I always think, I don't I don't ever get confronted like that, but I always think, what would you have done with that fame? Mm. Would you have used it for the positive good of yeah. humanity? And I feel that, you know, when you've got that, You know, you have got, I I feel I've got a duty to, to spread the word and inspire as many people as possible. And that, that you've just said, Jack, about people coming up, people say, what inspires you? I'm inspired by people being inspired. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When someone comes up and says, your book has changed my life. You know, I was in a real bad bad place and now I'm not. And thank you so much. That is the inspiration. It's like, whoa, that is, that is power. Yeah.
0: You know people came up and said those exact things to me multiple I think at every stop yeah. and uh in that part I really you know didn't expect that part for people to say hey I was in this dark place especially I think you know during COVID being locked down losing jobs yeah. the uncertainty all that stuff during this time period from 2020 to to today um but that really resonated as well mm. uh, people saying those those things um I mean it's a, yeah yeah I mean it's and they that's why it's so important like who you I mean it's Social media, but who you follow today? Because that's if you're following someone who's always negative or just posting these memes mm. or whatever else. You know, I love a meme as much as the next guy, but it's about adding value to people's lives. And you get to choose. Yeah. You get to choose what you are going to consume on this device that's with you all the time. Yeah. You get to pick. Um, and so I'm I'm so excited. I mean, I'm so fired up that so many people, you know, follow you and the guys on the show, and and you're inspiring this yeah. next generation, not just to join the military, but just life in general, because everybody's going to get yeah. hit, everybody's going to get knocked down, everyone's going to face adversity. They might not get attacked by a chimpanzee at age 10, <laughs> but oh, no. something, yeah, hopefully yeah. not, but they'll have something, yeah. uh, and you're, you're helping yeah. people. But interesting, you talk about yeah. the career uh, person, career office, because I remember when I went to the recruiter, the same thing, I'm like, here, I want to be a SEAL, here's the Dive Fairer program, I want to be a part of this, uh, it gives me a, the uh, it guarantees that I'll get a chance to just try out, and that's all I wanted at boot camp. Yeah. And like I remember the guy saying, he said, uh, are you Superman? <laughs> but, well, no, but I just want to get, I just want a chance to try yeah. out, you know, like, but people like exactly. have this at this attitude and you sound like you ran into somebody kind of the, the same way. Yeah. Um, same. But when you're talking about the the legal trouble that you ran, ran into, because, you know, people, people do run into to legal trouble. Uh, was that the shotgun story in here? Was that the.
1: Yeah, that yeah. was, that was around that area. But, you know, obviously the focal point in the book is around, is, is around the shotgun. Um and then, but there was so much surrounding that, you know, I was, I was just like doing so I was stealing from shock. I was, I was just doing everything. It was like, you know, if I didn't have someone that put a stop to that and have a short, sharp shock, mm-hmm. I wonder where that would have gone because it, it it wasn't going any anywhere good. You know, it's like an almost, I don't know. It's like when I was that age, I was 13, 14, I, I actually didn't really feel I was doing anything wrong. I was just having fun. Huh. You know what I mean? I know that when you look at it now, I had a sawn off shotgun and, um, you know what I mean? If, if you had that in this day and age, wow, there would be some serious consequences yeah. just for having it. Right. Um, but for me at that age, you know, I was just, I was, I was loose. I was loose cannon yeah, and, uh, I needed to be stopped. I needed to have a short shot of shock. Um uh, yeah. it was, it was pre- pretty hairy. Well, then you got to channel it. You got to channel it in, yeah. uh, in a
0: positive direction. I love how you talk about your mom, even to this day. I mean, you mentioned her earlier, yeah. and she's on your social media and in the book. And, yeah. you know, I love how you talk about that. Because having strong women, I think, is uh, is so important. Um, I put yeah. them in the book just naturally. Um, and uh, mm. and I think, actually, that that actually helped when it got to, to Simon & Schuster. And, and they read it, although that was just a natural thing. It wasn't something I, I yeah. planned out as, as to help. But I love how you talk about, uh, about your, your mom's influence. And that's how it's been through your entire life.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, just just that, you know, just that in itself, when I knew that I needed, well, I didn't know I needed help at that time, you know, but for knowing what my, well, looking back now, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it didn't win any wars, but it's great to reflect, isn't it? Yeah. And for me, looking back, I, I now realize, in the moment, I didn't really realize because, you know, I was, you, as children, you're very self-centered anyway. But to know that my mum was going through emotional, absolute, trauma, um, financial trauma, and then for her to put all that to one side to, to give her all my energy and love, which I needed at that time in my life, that for me was just unbelievable, something I'll never forget. Yeah. And also as time went on, you know, I've like bounced around all over the world doing this, that and the other. My mum is the one person who has really believed in me. You know what I mean? When I came back from Iraq... Uh, and bouncing all over the world and go to war zones as a contractor, et cetera, et cetera. You know, everyone around me was telling me, go back to Iraq. That's what you boys do. You know, that's where you make all your money. And I had this dream about starting this company called Breakpoint. Breakpoint's mission was to create, is to create a globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others. And she's the one that believed in that, you know, where everyone else was saying, you know, they weren't trying to stop me in my tracks. It was just like, do what you guys do. You make loads of money. I knew how corrosive for me being in a war zone was, especially as a contractor. And she's always been the one that's given me that confidence and belief. And, you know, it's, it's something that I'll never forget her for, you know, and a lot of it coming back to the UK. I left at 18 and kind of bouncing everywhere. And it, I didn't get back till I was about 43 years old. And um, that was really because I wanted to spend more time being around the people I love and especially my mum. Oh, amazing.
0: Amazing. So you're 18 and it's, uh, can you go right to Royal Marine Commando or do you have to do something else first or what's that? And then no, it's no, 45 you, you Commando can go, and how does that, that work? Is,
1: that is your straight off the street. Um, Yeah. So you can join the Royal Marine Commando. It's 32 weeks of training. And for me, you know, 18 years old into that, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was what I've been, you know, a lot of people, when I want to look back at it again. You know, it's like it was the brotherhood, the institution, the family that I needed and for me you know a lot of people when it comes to the military i don't know about you say it's not the same for everyone but there's a lot of people running from something Mm. and for me i was you know i I was taking a lot of trauma into uh, you know from that 10 year old boy and a lot of trauma i was taking with me into that sort of institution um but it's exactly what i needed um joined the royal marines managed to get through 32 weeks of training and then got my after training, got my first um, operational tour in um in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, which was a massive wake-up call for me. I was nineteen years old, and you know when look are such a such a boy. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of a lot of um growing up in that on that tour, you know, six months over there in Ireland. It's pretty active, and um, you know they call it a conflict when people are shooting at you mate, I call it a war. (laughs) So, um, so yeah. And then came back from there and then I ended up getting recalled to go to operation desert storm, um, came back from operation desert storm and I could not handle life as a peacetime soldier.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Being around camp and you know what I mean? And I was (laughs) just like, I want, I need to be at the shop and I need to, you know, and it was a choice for me at that point. Do I leave? Or do I give this special forces thing a go? That thing I'd looked at the career's office and gone, that's what I want to do. But then all that self-doubt lack of confidence starts coming in. And the more you think about it, the more you turn yourself or your the more you focus on anything, the bigger it gets. Yeah. So if you start focusing on self-doubt and lack of confidence, the bigger that will become.
0: Wow.
1: You know, you need to take action. It wasn't, if it wasn't for my troop officer. When I told him, look, I'm actually going to leave, you know, because I started to doubt that I'd ever passed this special forces selection, which not many people pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I told him that, he was like in shock. He went, wow, I did think you were going to go for the special forces. And I do believe if you don't do that, you're going to regret that for the rest of your life. And those words, there was someone there that I thought, I, admi- I you know, I, I, I admired the guy. He was a mentor of mine. I respected him. And it was almost like I didn't have the confidence, but I borrowed confidence off him that day. You know, I'd loaned some confidence off mm. him and I kind of felt it was my duty to honor that and actually put forward for special forces selection.
0: Yeah,
1: And that turned out to be a good thing because if it wasn't for that man, you know, having that word with me that day, my life would have been extremely different. I don't know where it would have gone, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't be here talking about yeah. what I'm talking about. You know, it would have been... I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but for me, it was it was amazing. And that's why you've got to look at the power of leadership. You know, when you've got that influential voice, you really can inspire and change people's lives. And that was a powerful lesson for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, I went off the selection, you know, trained and everything, and I was confident. But as soon as I turned up on day one, I looked around me, 280 odd. I didn't count them, but there was. It's loads of them. Um and I looked around me and I thought, wow. And then all of a sudden, when the pressure's on, the dream you have, the optimistic goal starts to dissolve because yeah. the pressure's on. And in that moment, the little voice in, uh, in that moment I was, I was honestly going to get back on the coach and think this was all a big mistake. But this little voice in my head just said, Ollie, just do today. Yeah. Just do today. That's all we, you know. And I just did today. That day ended well for me. And I did the penny fan, which was the the first March on SAS election. I ended up in the top five coming down from the hill. Loads of people went home that day. And to be honest, the whole nine months of that course was just with that ethos. Just do today. Wow. You know what I mean? Don't focus on the big ambitious goal. You know, that's at the back of your mind. But sometimes when the pressure's on, You've got to break it down to to hours, minutes. And you'll know from this when you, you know, on the on selection process, especially when for me, when I was in interrogation, mm. that just do today went just do the next second. Yeah. Just do the next second. Just do the next second. And it's so powerful that is because you know, without that kind of mentality, you just you you get overwhelmed. Yeah. And before you know it, self-doubt starts coming in and everything know, So it's, it's that, you know, when things are tough, especially when it comes to mental health and everything else, just do today. Yeah. You
0: know, I think a lot of people, that's what sends a lot of people home during buds, particularly during hell week is, uh, as they think, oh, it's Sunday night. I have to go to Friday instead of, I'm just going to get to midnight. I'm going to get to those mid rats because they have to feed us. I know they have to do that. And I'm going to get to six in the morning. A lot of people went meal by meal. I went evolution by evolution even. I'm like, okay, I know we're going to do surf torture here for X number of hours. And then we're going to maybe run to the obstacle course. Well, I'm going to get through surf torture. Mm. And then we'd start running to the obstacle course. I'm going to make it through the obstacle course. Okay, now we're going to swim like whatever, two nautical miles. Okay. I'm yeah. going to make it through that. So I just did it evolution by evolution, but a lot of people yeah. broke it down from meal to meal, which is a good way. But, uh, but, even, but people that looked, oh, you know, Wednesday out or Thursday out or Friday out, I think that, yeah. more than the cold, even more than the cold. Yeah. I mean, that obviously contributes because you're like, I can't be this cold on the verge of hypothermia for the next five mm. days. Uh, cause that, that obviously plays in, but, uh, but thinking of how long you're going to have to be that way. Yeah. Uh, and it's really just five days, but you're, I mean, yeah. breaking it down into those more manageable pieces. Yeah. Um, uh, just like exactly. life in general is uh, mm. is so yeah. so beneficial. Um but I wanted to ask you so as Royal Marine Commando are you 19 when you go to Northern Ireland and is that your your first experience 19.
1: with IEDs? Yeah, 19 was the first time and if, you know as soon as we got there the, the 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 first day in theater um you know we got called out straight away and you know for us we were QRF so basically when any, anything happened in the region straight onto the the helicopters the helos and um and straight to the, the area, you know, to to give support and whatever. And that day we went in, the actual, the IRA actually miscalculated our changeover because there's quite a higher price on any, anyone with a Green Beret or a Red Beret, there's a high price on the heads. So they wanted to welcome us into the country and they i think they strapped someone into a car i think that's what happened who then drove into the checkpoint with a 500 pound bomb and thinking that we'd taken over that checkpoint and we hadn't so the off going got absolutely smashed that night we went in there and i can remember landing on the ground the helicopter and uh sergeant he'd been to northern ireland a number of times and it was it was the norm to him and i can remember like it was just mayhem everywhere and i can remember he said right we've Lads, quick, um, um, quick QBOs, quick battle orders. Right, we've got to see if we can see any more of these. And I'm thinking, any more of what? And the next thing, he kicks this thing on the floor, and it just rolls away. And as the smoke kind of clears, it's a head in a helmet. Wow! And I was like, that for me as as a 19 year old, I joined up after looking at a brochure with people sunbathing on the beach on leave and windsurfing <laughs> and a bloke in a nice That's how they get you. blues. That's how they get you. Know, you. They're, they're number ones. You know what I mean? <laughs> this for me was like a massive wake up call. And I was like, whoa, that, that is, it, it, I can just remember that moment. It was like, that for me was like a big, you know, a time when I grew up rapidly, yeah. rapidly. I realized what war was actually all about. How long were you guys up there? How long were those rotations? Six months, it was a six month tour, so um, we didn't do too bad on it, actually. To be quite honest, there was a few close shaves, but um, yeah, we came out on top. Gosh, and you have any interaction with SAS while you're up there? No, not well, we knew they were on the ground, but yeah. you know, they're doing their thing, yeah, the, uh, we would they're doing their thing, and yeah. you know, they're they're, they're gods from the a yeah, yeah. planet.
0: <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and yeah. then is Arctic training part of, uh, of the uh, Royal Marine commando like at that 32 weeks or you, do you go do that afterward? Where does the, the Arctic training fall in for you guys there?
1: Yeah, no, that's something you do afterwards. So uh, as a unit in a commando unit, you know, we do Arctic warfare for three months of the year, every year. Um, so that's something that, you know, they, and I went to four five commando. I don't know why I did that because it's the, Ar- you know, it's the Arctic, um, yeah. warfare card, sort of, It's the you know known as as the specialists in Arctic warfare, and there was another. There's another commando unit called Forty Commando, which is the Sunshine Boys. (laughs) The message was in that. I I mean, I'm looking back now. Why didn't I go to the Sunshine Boys? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, yeah, but but the Arctic warfare is something that you know the the Royal Marine Commandos, you know, pride themselves in. So, so three months a year, we used to do that Arctic warfare uh, training.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that stuff's always been fascinating to me from when I was a little kid, like reading the Mac Boland novels and and all that sort of a thing and seeing some of that artwork on the covers with uh, some Arctic warfare stuff in there, doing the research that you could do in the 80s by going to the library and researching these things. But um, when I got to team five, uh SEAL Team 5 back in 1997 they were, were regionally focused at the time and they were focused on North Korea Siberia type of an mm-hmm. area so we got to go and do some cold weather warfare training and I really like that but I don't think it's anything compared to what you guys did I mean you guys were really uh I mean you guys knew what you're doing in that in that terrain
1: yeah no it, it was quite it's quite funny not funny but good observation is the fact you know when you guys were all Marine Commando you're like got skis on, you've got a house on the back, you know, you have to get your mates to lift the pack on your back and it's not fun. It's not (laughs) fun. You know what I mean? It is, it is pure graft and you're like getting across the ground but then, you know, when you join SF, it is just the best. As you know, it's like in the back of a schnook, flying out the back of a schnook, just to, you know, just as it hovers above the ground, straight on, um, you know, on a on a, a snow bike, straight out the back of a CH forty seven into the snow and racing through the mountains on a on a uh, on a snow bike, and it's, it's you know, it's a whole different world. So, you know, I, I swap the uh, the skis for. For a skidoo and um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's that. doing doing it SF style is yeah is, is way better. <laughs> it's way better. It was well worth
0: the investment. Right, right, <laughs> way worth the investment. And then uh, first Gulf War, what do you what do you guys do during the first Gulf War?
1: Well, to be honest, we were like the clear-up operation. So because all the Kurds have gone into the mountains, you know, we it was our job to go up because we're obviously specialists in mountain warfare. But um, we would we were called in to go up and, and basically get the Kurds down from from the mountains. So. You know, that, to be honest, there wasn't a lot of action. You know, the most that we, we saw in in the mountains was going into some of the old villages where there had been. You know, some people had been slaughtered and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Again, that was a bit of a, another wake up call for me. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't action packed. It was just that you know it's, it was so close to on the edge of getting that first yeah. taste of combat. Right, You know what I mean? It's like, it was so frustrating. It was so frustrating. And, and coming back from that, you're just like, ah, oh, so close to getting in the action and, you know, doing what we joined to do. You know, it's, it's quite funny, isn't it? Because a lot, there's a lot of people that think that we join up and then the last thing we want to do is go to war. Mm. You know, if it'll be a shame if you have to go to war and you're like, that is why we're joining. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Exactly. Because
1: you want to do that, right? And, you know, that's changed for me now. Um, <laughs> and I yeah. respect the fact I've got my arms and legs where they're, where right. they're supposed to be. Exactly. But, um, and I'm here all together. But, um, yeah, for me, it was like, yeah, that's, that's what we want to do. That's what that's what you joined for. That's
0: right. That's right. We thought that was going to happen when we came across the quarter deck at our first SEAL teams back in 1997, we thought we were going to get issued the pager and the, the golden connex box yeah. would open with this amazing gear and the beeper would go off and we'd go, you know, yeah. save the world and then come back in time for beers. And that was not how yeah. it happened. Uh, you know, instead we no. um, were told as new guys, take out the garbage, paint that wall, you know, that's sort another of thing <laughs> do, do new guy stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then after September 11th, obviously we got to, to do what we came in to do. But, uh, when you go yeah. to selection then when you go to SAS selection, do you know ahead of time that you're going SBS or is it during that time that you have to make your decision? How does that work?
1: No, you can actually make the decision at the end. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a lot of people go there, look, I'm going to go SAS or SBS. Um, for those that don't know, it's one one selection now. Um, I actually did the first, I, I'm probably one of the few people in the world to have done the old selection and the new selection. So I went, because I've done two selections, those that have read my book will understand yeah, yeah. there's a little hiccup, a little <laughs> speed, bump, a speed bump along right. the way. But um yeah, I mean I did the, the I did the old selection, which was a lot more, if you're going for SBS, then th- that was done a lot more in-house than you used to join together, do the jungle phase, the, the, the um escape and evasion phase and interrogation phase with the with the SAS lads. Mm-hmm. Um but then obviously I had my little hiccup. And then the next time I went back, they'd actually joined selection so that everyone does SAS selection. Then you, you get your specialization at the end of that. Yeah. But you know, they, you usually decide at the start, you don't sort of make your mind up, but saying that if you want, there's been people gone on that, you know, said they were going for SAS and then join the SBS and vice versa. Wow. So, you know, that can happen. Um, but yeah, you, you pretty much sort of decided where you want to go. Yeah. Is uh.
0: And so, and then did you go, well, before we get to that uh, jungle phase and then that escape and evasion phase, like those, like for me, Sears school, I, I, Sears school was uh, almost worse than buds in some cases because we're done with buds. Yeah, you know, then you're going to this thing and you're just like stuffed in this little cage and you know you're doing all this thing and you know mm. it's fake, but the smells and the language and the, everything about yeah. that prison camp uh, is I mean it makes you feel like you're there. And then later, I volunteered for a advanced SEER course that uh, was kind of like because our SEER is based off essentially, or it was when I went through in ninety seven or maybe ninety eight, mm. um, was based off really Vietnam and that prison camp you yeah. were brought into, it was like Vietnam style. yeah. Um, and yeah. it was based on the lessons of Vietnam with the tap codes and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I went to an advanced seer course before September 11th. And uh, it was kind of more focused on, hey, if you get grabbed off the the street and you find yourself in in Beirut or something, um, and CNN mm-hmm. comes in and they throw you in front of the camera and you know all that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, but it was still bags on your head, thrown in the van, driven around. You're in a place where there's they bring in a bunch of different food that smells like maybe. Maybe you're in Beirut, that sort of thing. The language they're talking. Yeah. I mean, so all that stuff they try to make. Yeah. So even your head, you know, it's not real. Uh, everything else other than no, your head man. is telling you that yeah. it is real. Your senses are telling you that it's yeah. real. But uh, how is that for, for you going through that? that yeah, fortune? no,
1: I, I mean, I, you know, a lot of people say that. Well, it, it's not real, is it? But, you know, after you've been on the, because before you actually go in the bag, um, you know, for, for us on special forces selection, especially here, I mean, the weather is grim you know, especially in the Welsh mountains, and you're on the run for seven days before you get caught. Um, you know, you move at night, sleep in the day, you never sleep in the day. That's, you, know, been, you get um, next to no food. So regardless of whether you call it training or not, it creates an animal up here. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, once you go into interrogation, that's there for a reason. And that's to see if you can hold your own, if it happened for real, you know, if you get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line is, you could have put all that training, you know, you've invested all that time in training, you've got through the hardest things you've that a lot of people haven't. And that is the one choke point where it could all end. Wow. So for saying it's not real, you know, at the end of the day, once you've had that Anyone that understands, and that's why the show is so powerful as well, because people sort of look at it. They sit there as red wine warriors on their on the sofa. They look at everyone and go, in a singular entity, they're like, that. I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. But the thing is, as we both know, Jack, that sleep deprivation, that hunger, um, that losing control of the moment and having to surrender yourself to the moment. Um, that creates something very different, yeah. very different up there. And it's, it's that, that you've got to battle with. And then going into the interrogation, you can say one wrong thing and do take one wrong action and then that's all over. It's, it's all finished for you. Um, so it's, it, it is a horrible experience that for me was, was quite a horrible experience. and And the fact that for me, it was the second time round and that was my last shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So going in there saying one wrong thing, it could have all ended. And that would been two years down the drain for me. And wow. um, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, we're taking 36 hours of of that constant, you know, stress positions, the white noise. You just want the white noise and the stress positions to be over so you can go and be interrogated. You go in interrogation, you can't wait for that to finish <laughs> to get back into it. You know what I mean? It's miserable. <laughs> yeah. And, and that that whole ethos, you know, It it was literally seconds, you know, just do the next second, do the next second for 36 hours. It was... It was
0: hideous. Oh, it is awful. And you're coming right out of the jungle to that, right? You have to, you've just done the jungle phase, which is yeah. which is no joke. I mean, that's uh I mean some of the pictures in these books that I mentioned right here, you know, are of those that jungle training that guys have been doing uh for you know as as long as the SAS has has been in its modern in, incarnation. Yeah. Um and it's I mean amazing that you guys go go through that. Um what was that like for you?
1: Yeah. Oh man, you know what? I I mean I've been to the jungle twice before. Um, so, I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew what to expect to some degree, but not, it's a whole different thing on selection. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're in there for pretty much, well, six weeks totally, but four weeks when you're totally immersed in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then, you know, and, 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 you know, very quickly, your body just starts to rot, you know, it's like your whole body, your feet and everything you get trenched for and you can, you stink, you absolutely stink. But I tell you what, I absolutely love that phase. I loved it because that, to me, really typifies soldiering. That's mm. its ultimate, you know, it's it, it's the ultimate test for me yeah. because not only do you have to spend all of your time making sure something doesn't eat you or infect you, yeah. that is, you know, and keeping your weapon clean and everything else like that because, you know, it's so, um, you know, the... the uh, it's so humid, yeah. so humid. So anything will rust. And, yeah. you know, so you've got to, all that attention, you've got to sort around your admin before you even think about soldiering. Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? And then you've got to throw in the tactics and everything else. For me, that is a, the real test of soldiering. And it's, it's just a, a brilliant environment to do that.
0: It's oh, incredible. so,
1: but it is hideous. You know, you lose so much weight, you come out of the jungle., I think there's a picture of me in that book there. I love the uh, pictures in point. here. Yeah, the pictures yeah. here. the
0: ones when you're young uh, in here, like <laughs> when you're just showing up, it's like you have to look twice. I mean, people that are watching can see right there. I mean, oh yeah, my gosh, so, that? those pictures are classic. <laughs> I love I love the pictures here. Oh, those are fantastic. But, uh, man, but then you go and uh, when where does the ship takedown come in, come into play?
1: That was pretty much my first operation when I joined the SBS, And that was like, for me, it was like, I'd gone from the big green army. It's not the army, but it's the Navy, the Royal Marines. But to give you the idea, the big green army sort of, you know, doing things on a big scale and everything else, you know, and for me, that was like, I, like I joined the special forces with that whole image in my head of that 1980 attack on, you know, the Iranian embassy, I wanted that to happen again. I wanted to be a part of that. So for me, I joined black troop as soon as I passed my selection pro and I just wanted to be in black troop. I wanted to be, a, you know, I wanted to have the pager. I wanted to be ready for something to go on. Um, so for me, the first operation, it was like, I don't know why it happened. at the, I don't know why it happened at the weekend or whatever, but we were just leaving camp on a Friday and then just leaving camp. And it's like the pager, we had a pager and the pager went off. And you get certain codes, whether it's a test or a drill or an exercise. And this one wasn't, this was real. And you're like, holy shit, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, but we have done a few before, a few of these operations before, and you get out to a forward operating base and you're sat in a forward operating base, going through rehearsals and everything else. And it never goes down. You know what I mean? And we've been out at sea other times, waiting for the jobs to go down two, three weeks, and the thing gets called off. Yeah. And so you're like, oh God, here we go again. And then, but that job, it was so different to the others because we were brought straight into camp. Within minutes, we were on a CH-47 off to the FOB. Um, And then that job went down a few hours into the night after that. And it was just amazing. It was like, I can remember being in the helicopter, going into Target and, you know, two minutes to Target. You look around you, everyone's pulling down their their balaclavas and everything. It's just your typical example of the special forces, you know, everyone with their weapon systems doing the final checkoffs and going into talk, you know, that's, that's like something kids dream about. That was, that was like the dream for me. And then over this, over the target, looking down, we were the helo team. We got boats coming up the back and, um, looking down at that ship, honestly at night, Jack, I was like, what you know, the (laughs) thing, it was rough seas. It wasn't a big ship, And, and the like, the mast is going like, or the bridge is just swinging. It's like a pendulum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Going across the 12 o'clock to the nine o'clock to the three o'clock position. And we've got the fast rope to go down. You know, mm-hmm. f- for those that don't know, a fast rope is like you're not attached to anything. You're just relying <laughs> on your hands as the brake system. Yeah. Uh, um, and you've got to time it so that when the bridge comes up, you're at the bridge. And it's like it's, it's like the biggest arcade game that you've ever yeah played in your life. And it was just incredible getting down onto the target and then storming, you know, all the team gets down and and storming that ship. It was just like, it was incredible. And then after we'd stormed the ship, uh, taking the ship and then just the extraction, just as the sun was coming up, it was just incredible. You know, the CH 47s came in picking the SDV, picking the, um, we had an SDV and picking the, the ribs out the water, and just man, it was just like the most phenomenal thing. I was just like, I want this every day. I want it every day. I mean, it didn't happen every day. That was the problem.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. After September 11th, it'd get a lot more frequent. Uh well, not that in particular, but um did you guys have MP5s? Were you still yeah. rocking MP5s at the time? Yeah, we had
1: MP5s at that nice. time. Yeah. All of yeah, I mean, hey, MP5, just like so, Princess so, yeah, Gate, you know, I have weapon. that that
0: poster downstairs and it's uh it's of SAS yeah. going in. Uh the Iranian embassy yeah. and everybody's got there. It's a, you know, an HK commercial, uh, essentially, but yeah. uh, really unveiled the- uh, massive the,
1: torches underneath. Yeah,
0: exactly. The huge flashlights. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, but I love those, you know, I mean, I, I love that. I mean, it's a problem yeah. set. You go to solve it and really, you know, it unveils uh, mm. at a very critical moment when we're looking at uh, uh, the history of, of terrorism. I mean, following 1979 mm. and then everything else that was going to come to fruition in the 80s. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, just an iconic mission and those people involved. You must have had people in your in your troop that were
1: involved in that uh in that operation yeah no no yeah no there's I mean I was actually I went through selection when I went through SAS selection I actually got trained by there was a couple of people well a few people on the Iranian embassy but also one of the guys I was um, my DS directing staff was Dinger who was part of Bravo 20 yeah so I mean it's you know as it you imagine like you read those books as a kid. That was probably the first book that I read from cover to cover Bravo to wow. zero. And like you read a book as a kid and then you've got one of these guys that is then training you. It's just like, that's, that's a, that's a, a pinch me moment. Crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so yeah, a lot of the guys that were involved in the, um, in the Iranian embassy. Yeah. They were, they were sort of part of the, the training staff at, at when we did SAS selection. So it's incredible. Jeez, amazing. So much respect for that. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And, uh, Yeah,
0: the shipboarding operations that I did were all um, right after September 11th. We thought we were going to Afghanistan, but instead we took over for SEAL Team 3. Those guys went to Afghanistan. We took over doing the shipboarding ops just to enforce the UN embargo against Iraq, the oil embargo. Um, mm. So this is 2001, 2002. And, uh, but those were, for, for those operations, they would, uh, the either whether it was a Dow or a class three tanker would leave Iraq mm. and take this hard left-hand turn, uh, just yeah. heading towards Iranian waters. So there was a very slim, and they always did it at night in the in the roughest yeah. seas possible. Um, but there was a slim window <laughs> where you could get on those things, take them over and turn them back into international waters for an actual prize crew that knew how to, how to deal with these things and drive these things. Um, but but, uh, but what they did for us to take the Helos out of the equation is they put um – Uh, barbed wire. They strung it all over the deck Mm. up as high as they could to foul the fast rope. Um, Which looking back, I'm kind of like, well, that's probably pretty good because those were the weather that they were, they were making those runs in was, was not good and not conducive to helo, helo ops. So we had had to come in on the ribs and, and take them down and all that stuff. So that was interesting because it was the only time in my time in the Navy that, uh, that I was actually on a boat. Um, But but that was interesting. But uh, when do you go to SDV school? You go to SDV school out in Coronado for a little bit.
1: Yeah, I went out there in, um, when would that have been? 1998. So, yeah, yeah that's, that was, that, I love that. I, I actually wanted to, you know, I was like, I wanted to be a Navy. I wanted to stay there. Yeah,
0: not a bad um, spot. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, what a, what a great place. It was brilliant. I, yeah, it was it was so good. So really, I went out there. It was, it was kind of, I'd been bouncing around doing the, the black troop thing, you know, on the counter terrorist wing for as long as I can remember, you know, waiting for that thing to happen that never happened. Um, we got some decent jobs, but the consistency wasn't there. You know what I mean? I was actually in the special forces throughout the quietest times. I think, Mm. you know, it's like, you know, before I left well before, you know, I left in 2000, but for me, 1998, and I was like, right, I need to sort of start thinking about where I want to be. And that was sort of a, a last shot for me. I was like, I'll go to SDV, see how that pans out for me. And I'll make a decision after that. So went out there to Coronado, lived the life. It was brilliant. Loved it. And uh, then came back from there. And um, I made that decision after that, shortly after that I was going to leave. You know, for me, it was like, I joined to be at the pointy end and there just wasn't enough of it. You know, there's the odd job here and there. And um, there was quite a few of the guys that that left for the same reasons at that point. You know, it's like, I don't mind the hardship and the low pay as long as I'm at the front end and I'm doing stuff, you know, that... But when you're not getting that and you're spending a lot of time round camp, I just couldn't handle that round camp soldiering. It was just like boring. Right. I spent so long training, 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 training and not enough for the operational stuff. So for me it was like it was no brainer. SDV did that, did great, but then I I decided to put my notice in and and, and left in two thousand.
0: Yeah. And in, in, I think in Coronado, was it three months? Was that school three months? Three months, three months. yeah, three months. Yeah, and I think you were in school because you were in school with SEALs, uh, U.S. Yeah. Navy SEALs. So you were in school yeah. with friends of mine because we'd just done BUDS. We'd done SEAL qualification training. Yeah. And then the guys going to SDV go to SDV school. Um, yeah. But I've I, I been searching everywhere, but we're in the middle of this move. So we have storage places all over the place. Yeah. But I got an SBS t-shirt from somebody yeah. in 1998 uh, and <laughs> they gave it to a buddy of mine who gave it to me. And it is, it's one of the ones that you wore like while doing operations. I don't know why we wore t-shirts. Like we do it in buds too. Like you wear cotton t-shirts. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, anyway, but uh, so it was like sun bleached, uh, chlorine bleached from the pool, salt water yeah. bleach. Like it's been used uh, and had the, the symbol on it. Now he's trying to, try to find it trunk. so I could wear Yes, I could wear it for you. Although it might not, <laughs> it might not fit quite as well today as it did back then. But, uh, <laughs> but I was trying to find it. And I know it's here somewhere. But uh yeah. but it's in a box. But I was I was like, man, I wonder if Ollie gave it because I never met the guy who gave it to my buddy who gave it to me. I'm like, I was always wondering uh if it was you. I mean, it, it I don't know. It's my <laughs> we, we always
1: took a load of stuff out there. So you never know. That could be from my hands to your it mate. It could you never be know, mate. isn't that crazy. Stranger things happen, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So yeah. uh that, that yeah, that was fantastic. Um, but what a school. I mean, it's uh, it's not physically located there anymore. But um, what a cool time for, uh, you know, to, yeah. to learn that skill set and do that. But um, but you leave the military and you, you know that, hey, I'm going to go into security, like right away. Do you have a plan?
1: No, 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 no. For me, it was like, I do not, I'm never going to a war zone. I'm going to do, I'm going to start creating my own legacy. I'm going to, and, and really the thing, thing for me, it was like, I'm quite honest. And I say this in my books that, you know, for me, the, the military for me never... I never connected. There was always something yeah. missing, something that wasn't right. I never felt like I was totally fulfilled or, or mm. um, in my right place. So for me leaving, it was like, I didn't know what I was looking for. But for me, it was like, I've clearly in my own head, it's not meant to be military orientated. So really, I wanted to get outside and then start to create, you know, I wanted to to earn money, to be honest, because Mm. in the SBS, we didn't earn hardly any money. You know, it was was a joke. So for me, it was like, it wasn't really about looking for something that was passionate about or trying to find a purpose in life. It was Mm. earning decent cash. And so I started off with these business adventures here, there, and everywhere. Spent three years doing the odd bit of security, looking after people, you know, doing doing high risk security for VIPs and, and the likes. And then it was only because the fall of um, of Baghdad in two thousand and three when I got that opportunity um, to then go out there to Iraq and start my con- contracting sort of um, mm-hmm. life, uh, and I just you know it's, it was the money that drew me there. It was like I could not turn down that amount of cash. Mm-hmm. I earned more there in two months than I earned in a whole year in the in the SBS, you know, and it was tax free because it was a war zone. Right. So for me, it was like a no brainer. Got out there, and it, it, that was that was awesome. It was it was pretty awesome. But again, for me, you know, I'll talk about it in my book. I actually call it fool's gold now mm. um, because I would not do that now for any amount of money. Yeah. You know, for us, we were going out there. It was the wild west. There was there wasn't the insurance um, kind of you know if you if you then there were lads getting injured and there wasn't the kind of insurance package to really cater for those people. So for me, I, I got out there and, you know, there was, we were getting attacked and it was, it was not a great place to be. And I can, I can remember the first time we were in a contact with a militia on the highway to, to back from Jordan to Baghdad. And that was the most scariest moment I've ever had. Is this and, the break and point, point break to, on the road to Baghdad? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And the reason for that was, you know, I mean, I actually make a point saying this when I do my, I do loads of corporate talks. And I actually say, I make a point of, of bringing people's attention to this because the first time I'd not felt this feeling of feeling so overwhelmed. Yeah, You know what I mean? Because it's the first time in my life I didn't have the tight fit and wetsuit of the SBS to keep me in check. I didn't have the team around me that made me feel absolutely invincible. Mm. I didn't have... Uh, the the um, air support that I could bring in. I didn't have, you know, in the SBS, I could call in, um, you know, gunfire from ships out at sea. Um, and in that moment, when I got attacked for the first time, heavily outgunned and outnumbered, um, I absolutely shit myself. And I've analysed that time and time again. And the reason for it was, is because I'd not felt that alone before. Wow. You know, and, and for me, um, you know, I realized it, I actually felt like a boy in a man's world when that attack was going in Jeez. and I was going, I was driving a car, 120 Ks an hour while we we're getting attacked, gunshots are going down from the cars behind. And mate, I was like going into, you know, this fight, fr- flight, fr- uh, fight or freeze. I was going into, I was driving the car and I'm, I'm freezing up, Wow, you know what I mean? And I'm like. I'm starting to think of all the responsibility of the 12 people in front of me and the 13 people, including my number two, relying on me to keep them safe that day. That is heavily weighing on my mind. You know, everything's happening quickly. I then started to engage in fear. Fear was starting to overwhelm me massively. And, um, you know, I was, you then start to think of all the things that could go wrong. You know, I'd seen the intelligence reports about cars being pulled out of the side of the road, beheadings and all sorts of stuff we don't need to go into but that was weighing heavily on my mind. And something happened in that moment while that was happening, when that was going down, something that could have sent me further down that path of of despair, but it didn't send me the other way. And that was the sound of gunfire. As soon as I hear that thump, thump, thump of the Mm AK-47s behind me, especially when you're at the wrong end, Mm -hmm. you know, is it that's intimidating. Um, But for me, it snapped me out of where I was. It was almost like I took a breath for the first moment and the last, minute or so, and that breathed clarity into here, I understood straight away away what I had to do. I had to let go of the responsibility of the people in front. They didn't matter in that moment. No concern in that moment. I had to let go of all that fear or at least control and harness that fear Because fear is a mental and emotional rehearsal for something you don't want to happen. You can't allow it to overwhelm you. There's only one thing in that moment I had to focus on, and that was triaging that situation. That was the people behind the car that were shooting at us. So that moment for me, I've analyzed, as you can probably tell, because I've rehearsed it, you know, I've I've talked about it so much, and I've talked to other operators Mm -hmm. saying, how do we manage those moments when everything around us is falling apart, going into absolute mayhem? How do we control it? And that is, like I just said, I took a breath, like it was the first breath in the last minute. It's by being able to breathe in those moments. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, what happens is you start to breathe erratically or almost stop breathing altogether. And that's when cortisol starts to increase. That makes us extremely confused. And the only way to lower that cortisol and get that mindset of clarity is through that breathing. Um, And that was in that moment. As soon as I did that and managed to control the situation, you slow that down you no longer allow the situation to grab you by the neck and rag you around. Yeah. You're at your speed and it's only then you can control that and do things that really, um, you know, you're in control. And obviously you, you know, this language, but you know, I've analyzed that time and time again about what happened in that moment and how being relaxed in those moments and how important the breath is and everything else. Yeah. So really that was what happened, the, the point I'm getting to is that happened on the early days as soon as you got to Baghdad, mm-hmm. you know, for what was supposed to be peacetime, not peacetime, but the fact that the Americans had moved in, War they, over, they liberated Iraq. Right. Yeah, the war's over. That's what the media was saying, right? Mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. Everything's fine. You know, and all the companies that we work for, they were wanting to downsize because as a security contractor, our value is only appreciated when we're tested. Mm. We don't make companies money. We cost them money. We allow them to operate. So as soon as they can, they want to offload you. Yeah. So, you know, the mainstream media and everything was saying, oh, the war's over. You know, I I went on a task to to fetch 12 people from Jordan with two people. Now, as you know, and I know, Jack, you know, you don't need to be a military strategist to understand (laughs) that it should be 12 looking after two. Uh, You know, those kind of numbers
0: those were the wild and you west do that days in the military yeah. you wouldn't do that no those are the you wild west days to upset for that. sure we're still everybody's figuring yeah. it out the battlefields yeah. changing the enemy's adapting Quicker than we yeah. are because we have these huge bureaucracies yeah. to to deal with when we're talking about change. But uh, I mean, interesting how you go back to taking a breath because that's something that uh, Jocko yeah. Willink taught taught me is hey, take a breath, look around, make a yeah. call. He talks yeah. about that, you know, in his books and, and that as well. But I, I put that in my mm. books. I put it in italics in my in my fiction um, uh, yeah. just to give a nod to, to Jocko and where it came from. Um, but that's so yeah. helpful, not just in the battlefield, but in in life in general. Um, oh
1: absolutely. And then
0: I'm reminded of the 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 regular Kipling poem if uh, you know, what, to keep your head when all those about you are losing their, theirs and blaming it on you. You know, that's such a, yeah. a, a that's such a powerful, powerful, powerful poem. Yeah. Um, but when you, in that ambush, um, how did they set up on you? Like, I mean, were you guys in thin skin vehicles and, um, and was it, uh, was it former regime elements at that time or was it Mahdi militia yet? Or what was, uh, what was the, the setup and what was the, what was the point? Was it just yeah. a, a Western style I mean, convoy they were hitting or were they actually after you in particular or what was that like?
1: Yeah, well, listen, I actually think it went as far back as going through customs, because when we went through the customs, the border between Jordan and Iraq, Mm. I mean, we were trying to keep it low profile. You know, the shirts were rolled down over the watches, expensive watches and all that kind of thing. But then we had a load of, you know, our our clients were ABC News. Now, when we got to the checkpoint and it was going through customs, the attention on us was phenomenal. Mm. And you know all these people that we've been—we told them keep a low profile on your way into country. When they were taking their stuff out of the cars, they're wheeling out their Louis Vuitton suitcases, <laughs> and then just as I thought that was the worst thing, you know, they're, they're blinging in Rolex and everything else. Just as I thought, God, this is you know a bit heavy, bit eyes on. I then see one of those Louis Vuittons getting put on a table where they opened it, and there's. $100 bills wrapped in cellophane. I mean, big blocks of them. You know what I mean? And I just looked around and all eyes, bang, straight on. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it went, as I expected, I think it went as far back mm-hmm. as, as them giving the tip off yeah. to the people in Ramadi, you know, between Ramadi and Fallujah. That's where we got attacked. We're in soft skin vehicles. We left the checkpoint at that point. And I think that's where it all started back then when I when I sort of analyzed it or did the debrief afterwards. But, you know, we're, we're driving along and, and as we get into Ramadi, Fallujah, that's when I'm, you know, I can remember I actually, my head nearly hit the steering wheel because I was that tired. I was driving the car mm-hmm. and I'm like, shit, I need to, I need to wake myself up. So I started having that conversation with my number two who sat behind me um, and um, I'm just trying to get a bit of energy flowing. Um, and then as I turn, i was sort of half turning, talking to him, as I turn to the front, you can see in the rear view mirror, the flashing of the headlights. Um, number two, Tom, number two, to get eyes on at that point, I didn't actually think anything of it. I thought, look, it could be another SF team. It could be, or oh, and we weren't an SF team. We were contractors. Mm-hmm. It could be more contractors. It could be SF. It could be the Americans, you know, American military. I didn't know. But as it got closer and closer, it was clearly evident. It was these blacked out cars. and My number two confirmed that. And they were moving at such speed. We were going 120 Ks. Uh, they were going even faster. And then it became clearly evident when they got really close, all the windows came down. We could finally see into the vehicle and they all had the headdress on, just see the slits of the eyes. And that was shortly followed then by the AK-47s coming out from every window. And you know, were they opportunists? I don't know. I don't know. it didn't really matter in that moment. All yeah, the yeah. fact is they were they were coming for us. And then they started shooting at the vehicles. I mean, I really think they were just probably opportunists, you know, mm. quite prepared to rape and pillage or not even necessarily that, but, you know, to take, you know, they knew the value of that convoy. Right. Um, but really, you know, we couldn't allow them to, to, to have a choice on what they did with the convoy. So, you know, I was in that moment and when, you know, when that time when I actually breathed and and didn't know what I was going to do, I'm I'm like, I'm freezing up and stopping. And it was when I then breathed, And then my SF training just kicked back in. It was like, you don't think everything then became instinct it was like I aggressively took the vehicle over to the next lane over because we've got the left-hand side is the central reservation. The lane that we're in is the fast lane, the steering wheel's on the opposite side to us. Um, and in that moment, you know, I've got three cars in front of me, soft skin vehicles. And um, at that moment, I, I sort of gave the order to my number two standby not tell him what I was going to do. And I aggressively took the vehicle over to the next lane over. The militia, they fell for the trap. They went in, into, the, into the open space. Mm. So I can remember that moment as I'm doing that, you know, my both hands on the steering wheel, my right hand comes down onto my MP5 Kurtz, um, you know, finger goes through the trigger guard, uh, thumb takes off the safety. And in that moment, I can remember looking down, Jack, and I'm like, I've been in a couple of scrapes before, but never have I looked someone in the eye. It was That moment was like the longest moment of my life. Mm. You know, and I'm looking down at this guy, like making eye contact. I could pretty much touch him out of the car if I wanted to. And um, you know, I'm always like trying to read his eyes. What you're going to do? What you're going to do? And it's happened so quickly. And then his AK-47 was coming down. I thought, what he's going to take the shot any second? Yeah. And at that moment, I gave the order to open fire. MP5, came, uh, Kurtz came up onto my extended left arm on the steering wheel, and then I, I let off a, um, uh, a burst into the vehicle through our closed windows, um, into the into the Mercedes next to us, uh, and that pretty much distinguished the threat at that point. Yeah. But that for me, you know, that was a crazy moment because we're driving away from that. Luckily, that, that car screamed into the central reservation, smoke coming out the bonnet. The number two car stopped with that car. And then as I'm driving away, you know, you've got the, that screaming in our ears because of the close confines and all the rounds going off. Um, you've got the 130K winds coming through that window. And, but the craziest thing spinning me out was the fact I had actually described this ex, the exact attack the day before of what we needed to do, what needed to happen that next day for us to secure that contract wow. and honestly it was so, it was it was a carbon copy of everything I'd explained, and that was spinning me out to be quite honest it was it was quite a bizarre moment for me. I was thinking, yeah, this is mental, absolutely mental, but yeah it was it was an epiphany for me if you want to call it that. And I use that afterwards, really, when I, when I looked at life and I was like going, maybe there is. And some people can say, look, it was just a coincidence that you predicted, not, you know, you visualized it the day before. And it, some people say that's a coincidence. For me, I'm like, maybe it was, but it started me on a path to start thinking that there may be something in this visualization, this positive thought, and that template has, has positively affected my life since then, massively. Incredible.
0: What uh and that time? How many times you go back and forth to Iraq? And what uh when you talk about this insanity, this Baghdad insanity, and in this portion yeah. of your life? Like, how do you look back and frame it? And what lessons did you take from from that time? And what was going on there during that time on the ground? Yeah, I mean, listen,
1: I yeah, I had a lot of issues again going on. You know, my personal life. I'd I'd left my wife and my son. You know, to go back to oh, go back to Iraq, I, I, and so I had all that stuff going on. You know, that that attack then. I had an issue with drink, mate, to be honest. I was, I was Every time we weren't working, I was drinking. Everyone was doing that. But the thing is, I felt that I was drinking more, you know, after the doors in the villa shut, after we'd finished. I was the one still continuing drinking and everything else. And then I started taking Valium and uh, to deal with the anxiety the next day. Um, and that for sort of four or five years in a war zone, you know, where you think every day is going to be your last, you're not going to be coming back from there. It creates something really nasty up here. And uh, for me as a contractor, you know, we, we, we were doing loads of stuff. I mean, we did loads of pro Iraqi stuff. So we were, we had a 2000 strong army of, of Iraqis Mm. that we trained to basically look, we put the first mobile network into Baghdad, into Iraq with a company called Arascom. Um, And then we put the, the power grid back into Iraq as well. So everything we did was pro Iraqi. We lived in the red zone, not the green zone. Um, and basically everything was, was great. You know, it, it was amazing what we the work we were doing, helping the community and everything else. But, um, for me, it was just the fact that I, yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't look back at those times very favorably because it was, a lot of it was self-induced. Well, it was all self-induced because I was, I was drinking heavily and it was just, you know, and again, with the, with the, with the, um, Valium and stuff like that. And it was only after that five years I went, I need to get out of here. I need to leave because was, living in a war zone is, is something different. It's different when you're in the military, when you sort of go and fight somewhere, then you come back home. But when you start living there day in, day out, that is, that is something different. Yeah. And it does make me empathize with the people that, you know, the civilians that are living in a war zone day in, day out. Yeah, no kidding. God,
0: and you and you come back from that, and is it uh, is it Australia? Where does Australia come into the? the
1: yeah, picture? no, I was I was actually because I in between that time when I was when I was there, I was actually I then moved to Australia. I met an Australian girl in London. I was actually looking after her boss, um, a client. So uh, I ended up in Australia, moving to Australia, and for me, it was like I left Iraq and I went right. I'm not going back to a war zone. Never going to a war zone again. Um, so I got to Australia and I was like living the life and it was great. And I got this, you know, I started getting involved in property and everything else and balance and all that kind of stuff that people think is great. But for for me and for people like us, balance is yeah, that's that's a bit of an odd word. It was it was back then, certainly. So I started getting bored because I could see my life panning out of me. I could see my life ahead of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that for me created a high level of boredom. So as soon as this opportunity or this thing that I heard about um, came up, which was working for an an organization called the Gray Man, um, ex-Australian SAS dude that set this up, that was sending um, operators in to basically um, break kids out of child prostitution and slavery. As soon as I heard about that and there was an opportunity to work as an operator doing that, I jumped at it. I absolutely jumped at it. And um, before I knew it, I was over in Thailand, working across the um, Thai border, uh, rescuing these kids from child prostitution and slavery. And that, for me, that was a phenomenal moment in my life, Jack, because, you know, everything that didn't fit in the military for me, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, all the pieces came together, and I felt so at home. You know, it was like, it was so humbling. I wasn't getting paid for it. I was using my money from Iraq to actually pay for the whole operation. Although I wasn't getting paid, it's the best return on investment I've ever had. And that is because the power of helping other people, especially when they're less fortunate, is something you can't put a price on. And to see those kids actually, you know, after they were going to be sold into a life of debauchery, seeing those kids in their school uniform with the school satchel on going down the street is something I'll never forget. Wow. Um I mean that part is fascinating was, in the was book incredible. right here
0: where you talk about it. It's I mean it's so yeah. fascinating in there. And uh I
1: you, do you ever go back to Iraq
0: again or was it when did you just shift uh from Australia? Do you shift to to uh uh to, to Southeast Asia child trafficking and doing that doing that job?
1: Yeah, that was me. I you know, I I never had any plans really to go back once I'd actually extracted, you know, out of Iraq, you know, I had no plans to go back there. I just knew how destructive it was for me. Yeah. Um, but then going to Southeast Asia, you know, I still I was still carrying the same issues with me. I was still drinking heavily when I wasn't working, and stuff like that. So, but for me, I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I don't. This is me. That's me. Set. This is going to be it. You know. But that whole thing called, you know, that whole operation or the operation we were doing caused an international incident. We had to. Basically, escape out of Thailand. You know, there's a manhunt on for us by the authorities because it caused, I think the US State Department got onto the Thai government because the, there was a picture, a picture of us um, on the front page of the papers in, in Australia. It went viral all over the world. Um, the U.S. State Department got onto the Thai government and said, how is this going on? We give you loads of money to stop this from going on. There's a four-man team gone in, done more than you've ever done. Who are they? Mm -hmm. And the Thai government went on the backlash, said there's no such thing happening in our country, and these guys are just a bogus charity putting the money in their own pockets. So what that meant for us on the ground is the fact that we, there was a manhunt for us. We had to escape across the border, and we finally got back to Australia. And, um, and got out of there. And, you know, that's why I always say, you know, I'd finally found something that was so unbelievable and I was so humbled to be a part of, and then it came crashing down and it was, but it was such a turning point for me, that power of helping other people unknown to me at that point would be, or underpin and be the DNA for Breakpoint, which is a company I would start later on down the track. But going back to Australia, I was battered, bruised, and broken more mentally than physically. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I was, I pressed that self destruct button again. And it was like drinking heavily drugs, anything that I could get my hands on. I was in a bad, bad place. And it was at that point I started to think about suicide. And I used to say, look, I've never, I don't know if I'd have, I never tried to or, or attempted. And I don't know if I would have, but the fact I was there and thinking about it means I've already gone too far. I need to do something about it. And for me at that point, it was like that little voice I heard on Selection about just do today. I heard that voice again saying, Ollie, it doesn't end like this. And that voice was enough to turn me on that spot and say, right, I've got to do something about this. It was a turning point. And I then started to really identify with all the things that weren't positively affecting me and uh, weren't positively adding to my growth. In life. You know, obviously alcohol and any kind of substance was a big part of that. So that's something I had to address. And once I started to be aware of that, I always think that's the biggest step for a lot of people is the fact you become aware of it. You know, once you become aware of your weaknesses and things aren't, that aren't positively affecting you, that really can start to be the first massive step in the right direction. You know, so that's when I started getting my life back on track. And I made such advances in probably six months that I went, wow, this is absolutely amazing. I want to show other people that they can do the same thing. And that's when I came up with the concept of Breakpoint, you know, Breakpoint about creating that globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others. But you can imagine my head at that moment in time, you know, I thought, I want to start a company helping others. I was yeah. still fractured and broken myself. Yeah. So you imagine what your internal dialogue is. It's yeah. like, look at the state of you. You can't even help yourself. You think you've got this thousand person audience around you that's critiquing you, but it's only in your head. Wow. But you've got to power through that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you've got to really focus on where you want to be and not get bogged down with where you are. You can't be a victim of your circumstances. And the more you focus on what you dislike, the bigger that will become. So that for me was a massive turning point. Massive turning point. Wow. So and little did I know I was actually heading back to the UK at that point. Oh, you you didn't know you were heading back? And how did how did that work? How did you get uh, back to I the UK? Another- and
0: then uh mm. there's some sort of a reconnection with Jason Fox. And how does that all yeah, how does that all come together at the right time and place?
1: Yeah, well that that was that point, you know, it's like I I said because of, like I'd left, you know, there was a lot of trauma back in the UK and I was like I'm now in Australia. I'm never going to go back to the UK. I've got wow. sunshine, a beach, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Australia's you know. pretty
0: nice for those.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> been. So, well, yeah. So, I, and then I can remember it was, you know, when I started to go on that path of, you know, self-discovery more internally than anything. And that's the thing I'll say about when I broke down, Jack, it was like, I could no longer blame the external world. Yeah. I'd run out of excuses for my circumstances. And it was the first time I was f- forced to look within. And that was such a gift in itself because that's where the answers are with everyone. It's not external; everything you need is right within. But we're, we're sort of programmed to look externally for everything. So for me, that was a, that was that, that that was the start of this journey of self discovery. And now I can remember waking up in the morning in Australia. My contract was kind of coming to an end. I had a decent contract with uh, an oil and gas company, um, but it was quite mundane. But it was a great job, well paid well. And I can remember I woke up at three o'clock in the morning on a thursday morning and for some reason my head went go back to the uk and initially my my sort of mind is going don't be stupid you said you never go back you're never going back and then i went surrender to this idea just surrender to it and as soon as i did everything started to make sense you know this start my company that's where it needed to start so i engaged the idea two weeks later i was on a plane back to the uk sold everything in, in australia Okay. And I got back and I'd not seen Foxy for 13 years, Jason Fox, who's 13 years on the show with me, 13 years yeah. since we'd seen each other. And we got back together again. And, uh, you know, we started talking about all the dreams and all the things that we wanted to do, you know, not going back to a war zone, but being able to help people and do stuff and, and really inspire people. And that then set me, I then put myself into self-isolation, which is quite it's not funny i don't suppose but it's quite interesting after we've just gone through that with lockdown and everything else but self isolation for 3 months in a house in the uk and for me that was about really starting to change the blueprint of who i was and start to get rid of all those negative habits that were just hindering me so every day i focused on three things mind body nutrition um and i used to i did things that i thought I would never have done unless I was forced into that situation. I had no money. I had pretty much nothing. And I had to get money to to build websites and everything else. But really I started to meditate. I started to visualize goals. I started to do all this stuff, which people call, Oh, that's just voodoo. It doesn't work. And I was every day, I was like going through this strict process of really investing in myself, cut off mainstream media, Mm. uh, no news, no, no papers, no nothing. I actually haven't changed that since, but, um, And then basically I start to visualize every day about me and Foxy being on the stage, really inspiring people through our experiences of life and everything else and the special forces and how great that was, you know, into so much detail, you know, that I could feel myself actually being on stage and being that part. And I used to do that every day, three months. I got to the end. It was getting towards the end of this three month window. And, um, my, my family had me over, it was almost like an intervention. It was like, all right, Ollie, um, you know, this dream you want, breakpoint and everything else. Maybe that's something a little bit further down the track. But at mm-hmm. the moment, I can see you're running out of money. Maybe you should go back to a war zone, just earn some cash and then start working on that idea. And I was like, Well, I can't go back to a war zone I can't go back there. You know, I, I knew how corrosive it was. Yeah. They didn't know my struggles and everything else. I didn't share that with them. Yeah. Um, but I I was no, I was so passionate about starting this business that I said, no, I'm I'm sticking with this, I'm sticking with it. And, um, two days after that kind of intervention, Jason Fox, Foxy, then phoned me up. It's like a rant. I can still remember the phone call. And it's like, Hey mate, you know, that idea you've got about Breakpoint? Would you look to do that on TV? And I'm like, I thought it was Foxy trying to get me down the pub because I was trying not to drink. (laughs) I was like, are you down a pub? And he's like, no, no, I'm I'm with a production company right now. They're looking for ex special forces operators that want to do this TV show. So I was like, Wow. And I, you know, people that think that there's no power and visualization and everything else. Honestly, that moment for me, I then reflected on that three months thinking every day I dreamed about this stage, me and Foxy being on it. And then we were being offered the best stage in the world. Wow, The best stage in the world, the TV. There's no better stage than that. And I was like, the hair's on the back of my neck. They're standing up now because I can remember the moment. You know, I was like, wow, this is incredible. And that was the start of SAS Who Dares Wins, which would then go on for another six, seven years, six years. And continue to go on
0: right now. I mean, it's an incredible show yeah. that you, I mean, the incredible thing you guys created. Um, and Jason yeah. Fox already gone on the news at this
1: point and, and talked about struggles and post-traumatic stress and that sort no, of no, thing. No, I, well, that, w- that for me was like when, when Foxy, um, that was, that was when I saw the power of what we're doing, mm. because at that moment in time, I was like thinking, right, this is a great tool to launch the business. You know, I, I have to think of what the purpose is with everything that I'm doing. Yeah. You know, what's the purpose for me? I, I didn't really have interest in being a celebrity as such, but it was the perfect platform. So I'm like thinking I'm going to use this and, and this will create great point. Um, and it was that first series that we did the filming and everything else, but, When Foxy went on that first series and started to talk about his mental health struggles and PTSD and everything else, honestly, Jack, the ripple across the UK was just incredible. The power of of what that TV show delivered Mm -hmm. was incredible. I immediately understood or realized the purpose for being involved with it. And that's when, when Foxy sort of, came to light with that and, and and the amount of emails we were getting and people being inspired by that. And mm-hmm. da, 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 it was incredible. I then saw the power of TV and how, how, how incredible it was. And, and that I thought, listen, it's going to be a one-off. You know, and that will be, that'll be it. Yeah. And it just kept, I, I I still treat every show like it's its last, like I'm not involved with the UK one now, but I'm out in uh, Australia now yeah. with um, SAS Australia, which is, which is fantastic. Oh, and I just treat every show like it's the last because I never know when it's going to end. But right. you know, my primary focus is Breakpoint, And I'll always, you know, that's always will be TV stuff for me is, is a sideshow. But my my focus, my passion, my dream is Breakpoint. So yeah, it's, it's an incredible, it's been an incredible journey. But, you know, I, you, I honestly, and everything we teach at Breakpoint is all about having that positive state of mind, really start to focus, set yourself goals and, and really start to invest in yourself. It's yeah. the best return on investment you'll ever get.
0: Man, I mean, that, and that show took off like that is like around the world. Yeah, um, it's hard to get in the United States. You have to go to like Sky One, like right it like Sky One or something like that. It's like this, you know. It's not yeah. on one of our regular channels yet, um, but which has always been surprising to me because you see this this mm. uh, like blockbuster success around the world, and uh, you know I don't know why maybe television executives in the United States don't understand SAS maybe. I'm not sure, but uh, everybody else yeah. does. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> and you guys work with some of my SEAL buddies, I think over there in Australia on that uh, uh, on the, the most recent iteration of the show. Um,
1: but yeah. were, were you surprised by how popular the show was or in continues? Yeah, to be? because yeah, I was initially because when I only, when I saw the first one, because I thought, listen, was who's the, who's the audience here? And I thought, yeah, it's going to be these ex-military, you know, mm-hmm. the military wannabes, you know, not so much the ex-military guys, but you know, I thought there was a limited niche audience. But then, when you saw how the f- first one was cut, it's not the f- it's not about the military. Yeah, it's about psychology. It's about human psychology and how we're wired. And you know, we obviously they they use the platform of the, the special forces um to deliver the content, but really, it's I don't think it's necessarily about the special forces. Right. It is about human psychology, and it's you know, I think the more People don't understand that they're drawn, whether they know it or not, it's a subconscious thing, but we are drawn or compelled to understand how this works. Mm-hmm. You know, the more we understand how this works, I always say it like this, Jack, you know, a mechanic can't fix a car or a motorbike or any kind of machine unless he understands how it works. Yeah, We are no different. We are absolutely no different. But the thing is, there's so many... Um, people out there running around with no idea of, of, of why, the, why and how we do the things that we do. Yeah. People spend more time investing their time in understanding um, pointless celebrities mm-hmm. than they do themselves. You know what I mean? They can tell you everything about the, the yeah. Kardashians right. or whoever, but you ask them about themselves. Right they'll they'll hit a brick wall you know you t- who you tell me who you are mm-hmm. people can't even answer that question so really the more people start to understand that you know we have to start to understand how we work how we're wired and then that helps us start to achieve in life you know we we we're only here once apparently yeah you know, we've got to make the most of that every moment. So That's
0: right. You get one ride on this planet and you get to decide how you're going to spend that time. If you're going to influence yeah. people in a positive way, add value, yeah. uh, those around you. I mean, you get to decide. Um, yeah. Man. It's a choice. It, it, it certainly is. And what's also surprising me about the show, I don't know if it was surprising to you, is how emotional it is. I mean, did you think mm. that going in or do you think, hey, we're going to, you know, yell at some people and put them through a little boot camp, put them through some tests yeah. and it'll be visually appealing. And then, you know, maybe there'll be another one, maybe not. But it's an emotional show yeah. for everybody.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I spend time analyzing a lot of stuff, but um, especially when it comes to human nature. But the thing is, for me, it's like, what happens on that show? And it's it's very much what happens to you guys on Buds and Selection. It's very much what happens to us. But for the first time, you don't get to design the perfect outcome. Your ego has nowhere to hide, so it disappears. Mm. And when you're in that sort of state of vulnerability, you're actions, reactions, and emotions become extremely raw and organic. And it's a real look at your true character. And that's the first time that's really happened for a lot of people since they were kids, really young kids. You know what I mean? Because as life goes on, we build this persona of of what we want people to, or who we want people to think we are. And that's the first time all that's stripped away and you are exposed. And that's why it's so emotional. I mean, the thing is, as you know by your training, Jack, and mine, Totally different people by the time you finish that selection process. Life-changing, absolutely life-changing. And, and, and once that sort of ego is, is is removed, you get to the raw nerve of who you are. And that's what happens on that show. And that's why the emotions really start to, to, to come through to the forefront. And anyone that makes it through that show realizes they might have not done that when they, when they um, first entered the arena, but by the time they leave, they realize they were there for themselves and not for everyone else. Interesting.
0: Yeah. You know, I think there's this, this crucible, and it's, if you go back to the beginning of time, there are these different crucibles in societies and tribes that uh, you, had mm. to, you had to be tested if you are going to be a contributing yeah. member of that society. Um, that's why I think people are drawn to the Royal Marines, uh, while they're drawn to yeah. a Marine boot camp in this country or the Q course for mm. Army Special Forces or BUDS or whatever it is. You know, people are, are drawn to that test. Uh, maybe it's the NFL. Maybe it's, you know, some, something like that. Um, but uh, a lot of people don't ever test themselves. Like that, and it's such a natural yeah. thing to do. I mean, it's only for a very small part of human history where we really haven't had those in place as a society. Yeah. So you could gain acceptance and um, and become a contributing member of that society. Um, so I think that's why a lot of people are, are lost today, and why they can't answer that question mm. about what they are because yeah. they don't even know if they are a uh, a valued member of a group of a tribe of a society of a yeah. country um, because there's not a shared experience and so whether that's mm. buds or that's a uh, boot camp any of the any of the boot camps out there um, you have this shared experience of a test of a crucible before yeah. then becoming this and, and usually it happens between ages like you know 16 and 20 you know somewhere in there you know yeah. that's that's kind of where it where yeah. it seems to seems to happen um when you're you know, you know mature enough to handle these things you're physically mm. ready enough to be able to test yourself all, all those sorts of things. But, um, I think a lot of people in the show, you know, haven't been tested and then life hits them and wow, yeah. now they're going to have to, they're gonna yeah. have to figure out how to get back up and move forward in a positive way. Somehow they're going to have to figure that yeah. out. But to have that be your first test and not have that be a part, uh, uh, a, a, either naturally occurring or a, uh, uh just a part of your mm-hmm. journey to gain acceptance into this, into this society or tribe. Like, I think it's detrimental not to have that because you don't. And now all of a sudden you're kind of searching.
1: Definitely, definitely. But the thing is, I just, you know, I've, I look into I've looked into a lot of human nature, you know, about our evolution when it comes to survival. There's no stronger driving force in any human being or any species on this planet than the need for survival, mm-hmm. you know, survival of the species. So that is the one driving force well sunk deep within our subconscious. Now, when it comes to our survival mindset, which is the one thing that's driving everyone on this planet, they want to take the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. They want to conserve energy. Average is winning. You know what I mean? So our default setting is kind of not to overexert, not to push the bar, not to take risks, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, that doesn't mean that there's an internal desire to do so. Mm. And that's why people get so much from those challenges. You know, we were, humanity was born out of struggle. You know, we thrive from struggle. We thrive from challenge. And also when you look at it as well, you know, a a good amount of stress fires up the immune system. It's good Mm. for us. And that's what, that's why you get a lot of people that actually start, you know, they get serious health issues after they retire. Right. Because they've got no, no challenges anymore. You know, so it's really important that people learn that we need to be challenged. And a lot of people are like going through mental health issues and, and, and any kind of issues, they, you, you say, look at your lifestyle. You've got nothing that's pushing you, nothing that's driving you. You've got no sense of purpose. And it's, it's quite obvious why you're doing that. You know, at the end of the day, sometimes people with mental health issues or depression, whatever, that's just a signal from the brain just to change the monotony of your habits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do something different. Get out into the wild. Do this. Take a step into that short-term discomfort for long-term gain. Yeah, you know, and that's everything that we preach here.
0: Man, and you, I mean, people can find out all about this on your website. But then, so you have the show and then Breakpoint comes out and then you yeah. follow that up with, with battle ready, um, yeah. right here. And I love that. I love the tat by the way. I didn't really, uh, notice that before <laughs> it, right? the, the bone frog. Yeah. Here, yeah. You who, know? Dare love, <laughs> who dare swims. I love who dare swims. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Uh, but this one right here, what, uh, what inspired you to do the, the second one right here, the battle ready?
1: you know what the, the first one for me, Breakpoint, is all about an autobiography. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that sets the foundation of who I am. That gives me the credibility to go and write a book like battle ready. So basically battle ready is really that chapter of my life where I put myself into that house for three months, you know, and battle ready is really, it's not about being in a war zone. It's because whoever you are in life, we're all fighting a battle. And that really is the you know, to be the best version of ourselves each and every day is hard. It's it's a battle to do so, to do that. So, really, that book really sort of um underpins or is the heartbeat of that journey when I put myself into that house for three months. And the stuff in there is really about finding yourself at the end of each chapter. There's exercises to do where you can really start to question who you are and start to challenge yourself. So yeah. for me, that's a call to action, that book. Nice. You know, it's it's not an easy sit down with a cup of tea and have a you know, I've, have have there's stuff to do. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you're going to be pushed if you want to really immerse yourself in that book. Yeah. No. But, um, you know, that's been life changing for a lot of people, you know, I've had so much feedback from that book that people are like unbelievable. Yeah. But the thing is, I always think also that until the student ready, until the student is ready, the teacher, or when the student is ready, yeah. the teacher will appear. So some people, it's not everyone's cup of tea, it's more like a shot of whiskey.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. That should be on here. You know, and that should be right on the cover. I love it. I love yeah. it. And then we got scar tissue. And then you follow that up with, with all yeah. or nothing that is, that is out now. Um, and yeah. then what inspired you to go down uh, this path and, and write, uh, write thrillers?
1: Well, you know, that's not something I would have naturally, naturally done because it's a fiction book. And for yeah. me, I'm like, it was so, you know, I want to share this message of, you know, really help to empower people, and inspire people. And I thought that was just done through self-development books. Mm. Now, there's a lot of people that won't read a self-development right. book, but they will, they will definitely read a fiction That's book. right. And, and, and the, the power of storytelling as a platform to share that knowledge is absolutely incredible. So really, it was something that was pushed to me. How about this idea? And I was like, whoa, I'm not sure. But then, you know, part of the, you know, that book really, although it's fiction, it really is the framework of my life as a contractor when I left the special forces. So, you know, the element of truth, you know, there's obviously a lot of elaboration in there, but the element, mm-hmm. uh, the, the sort of being able to use my experience um, to, to create that um, fiction book was right. was something that I was definitely um, had to be a prerequisite right. to do that scar tissue. And really for me, that is about Alex Abbott. You know, it's about, it's about letting people understand that even people that people perceive as these, these mm-hmm. gods from another planet, these perfect people, they're not. We have flaws. We absolutely have flaws. So if Alex Abbott, it's not about painting a picture of perfection, special forces operate, doing this, that, and the other. He has these flaws. You know what I mean? It's really identifying or, or, or bringing focus to that. And the strength in the messages in scar tissue, you know, again is, is is helping people. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's something that's very close to my heart. Yeah.
0: And there's power in uh, in, in storytelling in fiction, and what I call mine, I call it uh, fiction with whispers of truth. Is, uh, is exactly what I, what I call mine. But that's the say.
1: that's the thing, and you you can relate to that as well, Jack, with your books, is the fact that you can understand when someone has knowledge of the content. Well, you can definitely understand mm-hmm. when someone has no knowledge of military life, has no knowledge of operations, operational life, you can tell that it stands out like a sore thumb. I think the first film that actually really typified that was Heat. Mm-hmm. When you saw Heat, best film ever. You know, so great. It was the first time they had to change mags. And, yeah, I know. And wow, they're and using their cover, sights. Blah, 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 it's in their shoulder. Like, you
0: know, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah think no, was out there, so I think, doing some
1: of that uh, advising yeah. on that. And
0: yeah, that's a turning yeah, no, point absolutely. right there. For sure. All yeah, way-
1: yeah. And it's that, it's that detail that people love. You know, it's like the detail we can go into in those situations that, you know, is overlooked when someone hasn't got the knowledge is, is just incredible. So.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And what's, so we have Battle Ready 360, uh, Battle Ready Fuel. You have so much going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, how are you much. juggling it all? And what are those, <laughs> what are, what's all that about?
1: Yeah, well, Battle Ready 360 and, and Battle what we've done, I mean, we started this business, you know, uh, Breakpoint, you know, which was, me coming out of that house and the first show and everything else, and I've have, I've have an issue with being over creative. <laughs> I've done I've done <laughs> tests with neuroscience. We do that in, in our business, and my, my report c- comes out as highly creative. Now that for me has created a bit of a monster because as soon as it gets down and dirty with all the stuff that a business requires, mm-hmm. I think let's develop a new idea. Right, right, right. You know, Can't rest. Creative. No rest. No rest. Yeah, yeah. No rest. You know, it's, it's like, get, let's go on to the fun bit of the creation bit. So I start coming up with all these things like battle ready, 360 battle ready, ready fuel, um, which have been concepts of mine as part of the business. But I have kind of not, I'm still a part of those massively, but I'm not heavily involved. Mm. I work on the business as opposed to it's right. in the business. Got it. Um, so, you know, I've, I've sort of sold them on as a license. I'm still involved with BR360 as Foxy is, Jason Foxes. Mm-hmm. And we're with that, you know, we're still spearheading Battle Ready 360, although it's managed by another company. And that's Got the it. same with Battle Ready Fuel as well. To do any of those businesses, fitness and supplements, you need to be 100% focused on that. You right. can't like be juggling a million things and do it as a sideline. You know, so there's all that going on. So that's really helped me by doing that and pulled me back into Breakpoint. That's it's. it's I've come full circle, and now I'm constant. My main focus, my love, my passion, everything is just about Breakpoint. And um, you know, I'm so glad to be sort of back, passionately focused on that one thing. That's my primary. So got it. Yeah.
0: And are you still riding motorcycles? What's uh? What are you riding these days?
1: Oh, I've only got eight motorcycles now. So. <laughs> I know they're I'm multiplying downsized. in our
0: garage as well. I think as we speak. What
1: are you riding these days? What are you, what are you? Uh, well, I mean, I've got, I've just, I've just got a, uh, a BMW GSA, GSA 1250, which is incredible. But, nice. You know, my love my, my true, uh, the one bike I love more than anything is the 1971 CB 750, all customized. Uh, but I, I just love that lifestyle. And it's like, and vehicles itself and creating that for me. I've got so many toys that, regardless of the weather and where I am, I've got a toy for every occasion. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we're just having a, a have you heard of a Pins Gower? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, remind me though, it's a six. Well, oh, this yeah, one's a, the vehicles, not, yeah, those are yeah, awesome. Do you have yeah, one? I'm just having one. Yeah. I'm just having one done no as a land vehicle.
0: Yeah. People yeah, should I'm so, uh, I'm gonna mess up how to spell it, but if they put something similar into a search bar, it'll it'll pop up. But uh, what a cool yeah. vehicle. I've always wanted to have one of those too. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, I can't <laughs> believe you have one. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, that should be ready in a couple of weeks. That's been like a nine, 10 month project. So yeah. um, yeah, and then we've got all the motorbikes and we've got the cars and everything else, and we're planning a big uh, expedition, um, probably North Africa next year. Nice. So where all the cars, everything, motorbikes, the whole lot. But really for me, it's getting people to understand, especially post sort of lockdown and stuff like that, that, you know, we don't have to get on a plane for an adventure. The adventure's mm. are at our doorstep. There's yeah. so much we can do to sort, sort, of, sort of step out our comfort, comfort zones on a regular basis. There's one thing I'd love to share with the audience here, Jack, and that's the fact that, if you're living and working within your comfort zone, you are today all you're ever going to be. Wow! You know what I mean, and that's why if you just think about that, you know yeah. it, it, that just really—I mean that—that—that that, that brings kind of images of shock and horror into my head. But you know, it's really about stepping outside our comfort zone on a regular basis, and really for me, you're like going in the car, you know, like going on the motorbikes, this, that, and the other, doing stuff that really pushes myself and, you know, really creates those adventures, creating a story you'd love to be told, you know, again, we're only here for a short space of time in the realm of things. And it's really about getting the most out of every moment. So, you know, all these toys and everything else, we're building a YouTube channel, you know, it's really about sharing those adventures, inspiring people to really start to positively gear their lives and do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Oh, yeah.
0: So, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. The the bikes are incredible. I love watching. Uh, I'm sure you've watched the Long Way Around with Ewan McGregor yeah. and Long Way Long Way yeah. Down, Long Way yeah. Up. You yeah, know, those. Are, those yeah. I love watching those those shows. They're they're great. so inspiring. They're um, but uh, but yeah, some of that's I love the bikes as well. Hopefully, we can link up for a ride at, at some point, either in this yeah. country or or overseas. Uh, you know, in the UK or Africa or somewhere. That'd be uh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, well, we're
1: gonna head that way, mate. So at some point, yeah, you know, we've got so much. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. is like coming into our you know, into our, um, that sphere. you know, we keep hearing about the U S so that's something that's definitely on our check. We, we feel we're being called over there. So nice. um, definitely. Oh yeah. man.
0: I love that. I love looking at your Instagram and seeing those bikes and, and all the things yeah. that you're doing. I mean, it's so, so inspiring. Uh, but then you also have some charities that you're, you're involved with, um, and, uh, rock to recovery. Maybe there's a couple other ones out there. What are you, what are you yeah, focused I mean, on right now?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I like Rock to Recovery. That's mainly sort of Fox's um, charity that he's involved with. But, you know, we we do a lot of stuff when it comes to Rock to Recovery. Um, but really, we, um, you know, we've gone from a few charities, this, that, and the other. You know, we we start to, you know, we focus on a charity for sort of 12 months and then, you know, okay. go to another charity. But we've sort of gone to the Legion now, the, the Royal British Legion, which is okay. more across every sort of, you know, all three services So the Royal, uh, the, the air force, the Navy and the army. Um, so it's really about sharing the love if you want to call it that, you know, and then there's also, there's a thing in this country called the air ambulance, you know, Mm. which is totally funded by our charities. It's not government funded whatsoever cost a lot of money to keep a helicopter in the in the air right yeah so um you know we, we're focusing on them at the moment as well but you know we we do um a fair bit of charity stuff but at the end of the day we're business mates so we have to focus on the business side of things but whatever we can do afpst is something else i'm involved with which is the armed forces um snow sport um team oh cool so that is really you know i do a fair bit of work with them and the stuff they're doing is incredible, mate, because you've got people that have, you know, suffered some horrific injuries, not just in war zones, but mm-hmm. outside of war zones back home. And the stuff they're doing, mate, you know, it just they inspire me because you've got like, for instance, we went to a charity event the other week there was a guy there, totally blind, and he's now, you know, like a, a downhill ski, um, uh, you know, doing downhill ski sports. And you just think there's a lot of people in this world that will use any excuse, you know, I can't be motivated, I can't do this. And you see people like that absolutely smashing it. And you just think, what an inspiration. Oh, it's just incredible.
0: It really is. I mean, you see these guys that, uh, like Caleb Brewer, a friend of mine, started an archery shop down in Tucson. Um, mm. But got his legs blown off um, in Afghanistan, yeah. um, former Special Forces guy. Uh, and you see him working out, like doing CrossFit workouts mm. on these. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible to see that. Yeah. Um and there's so many yeah. there 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 unfortunately are so many people out there um that uh, that have mm. those those injuries and are, are are living with them and are an inspiration yeah. to uh should be an inspiration to to everyone. So um, yeah, yeah to see that it's just just incredible. Man. Hey, what, so I know you're focused on breakpoint right now, but what else uh, do we know if there's going to be another uh, uh, SAS uh, yeah. uh, show or what's the next, is another season or whats uh, what are you looking for like the next uh, next five yeah, ten well, years? what are you excited about?
1: Well, first of all I mean we want to make breakpoint global so yeah. you know u.s is, is a focus the Australia is a focus um, and um, the show SAS Australia, which has been an absolute amazing hit out there it's probably one of the best shows um uh on the on tv out there it's just we just got nominated for two logies um and uh, that should we should be filming out there towards the back end of this year uh, maybe in january february but what i'm doing in november which is quite awesome i'm really excited i'm putting all my time and training into at the moment i'm climbing um, a mountain called amadablam
0: I saw that um, on your
1: on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm doing that with Nims. So anyone that doesn't know Nims, yeah. he's the ex gurkha the first mm-hmm. ever special forces or the first ever Gurkha to pass special forces selection in the UK, who then went on to, he's left the, the military now, but he went on to, and you should watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Totally inspiring. 14 Peaks. Yep. Um, and he, the record for climbing 14 peaks over 8,000 meters was about seven years. And he did that in just over six months. Amazing! So, so truly inspirational guy. So I'm climbing Amadablam with him in November. Uh, there's a group of us, um, but I'm doing that for charity for Movember. You heard of November? I've heard of Movember. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like my yeah, year So, though. um, yeah. <laughs> So um I'll be doing that in um in November. So I'm training yeah. half of that. they you know, I'm I'm spending time in an altitude chamber. I'm working with Manchester Metropolitan University, where they're total lab rat with bits hanging off me and stuff oh like gosh. that. So that's a big focus of my time at the moment. So that's, that's my focus at the moment. I need to put a lot of time and energy into that. I'm away for a whole month away from the business, which will kill me in itself. Uh, and then hopefully when I come back from there, we will then be looking to go out to Australia to maybe not to Australia for filming, but um, not sure on the location yet, but yeah. the next series of SES Australia.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Oh man. And I know people are going to ask me, what, uh, what watch are you rocking right there?
1: That's uh, a Panerai. There you go. Um,
0: submersible. There you go. Uh, our Frogman roots right there. Yeah. You know. Uh, so I, I grabbed the uh, the Vertex because of the UK connection. Yep. the Old yeah, UK yeah, World yeah. War Two uh, watch right yep. there. So I grabbed this right before we before we hopped on um, yeah. go, the the watch stuff. But yeah, the the uh, the Panerai stuff right there. Some of those ones from well, back yeah, in I the day, those, they're, they're huge. Yeah. Have you seen the ones they actually wore? They're like they're gigantic. Yeah, massive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I went actually, I was filming, in, I was with Foxy and we went into Sydney um, just before or between we were filming. It's actually between we were filming two, two series and um, we went into Sydney into the Panerai shop and I'd not seen this before. It's this submersible Carbotech. And on the back of there, it's got, you know, they'll diver with the La Five Rebreather on and everything. Oh, and the guy in the shop is showing us and says, Do you know the history behind <laughs> these watches? And I was like, a little bit, but you, you know, tell me what you what you know. And this guy's going on and saying, you know, the submersible, the SDVs and da, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I went, Oh, yeah. I said, Well, me and my mate here, we're we're frogmen. And, you know, I'm actually an SDV pilot. And this guy is laughing, he's like going, ha, ha, you know, laughing at me and me and Foxy. Anyway, that happened. We bought the watch. I had to buy the watch once I saw nice. the uh, the frog, the frogman yeah, on the back. I know it. I know it. And then uh and then later on, that series then aired on TV. And the guy from the shop actually emailed me saying, Oh my god, I can't believe I've just seen you on TV wearing the wearing the panorama and obviously. He then realized the story we were telling was the truth. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) funny. I wonder how many guys go in there and try to get a deal by telling them I was a frog. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I got no deal. (laughs) No
0: no deal. I know. That's how it goes sometimes. Oh, man. That's awesome. That is awesome. Oh, man. Well, man, thank you so much for spending this time today. I sincerely appreciate it. It's a
1: pleasure, man. You've got a big day
0: coming up, haven't you? First of July. Yeah. Yeah. We did. uh, Thank you. Yeah. First of July. I got the show coming out with uh, Chris Pratt here. We were just in LA for the premiere a couple days ago. And, uh, yeah, actually I went to so the Panerai shop in, uh, in, uh, in LA yeah. and, uh, cause I'm always looking, they used to have <laughs> these, uh, these SDVs and so they have the models set up, you know, they had the world war yeah. II models, which were essentially torpedoes, yeah. you know, for those guys back yeah. then with the, with the watch yeah. around it. So every time I see a Panerai shop, I go in there and, and poke around a yeah. little bit see what they, what they have going exactly. on. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, did the premiere and that was crazy being in LA and having yeah. everybody come out for it and see it on the big screen and. You know, it's so mm. different seeing it on the big screen. I've just been watching it on my laptop and making my notes and my my edits and sending yeah. those in. But when you see it on in a movie screen, and I mean, yeah. it was incredible to see it like yeah. that. And what an achievement! Be, uh, oh man, couldn't be more thrilled with uh, with how it came out. Yeah, because,
1: well done, well oh, done. Oh, well, thank you.
0: And as you know, working in in film, it's like, there are so many opportunities where these things can go off the rails because there are so many people involved and so many different ideas and so many notes uh, all the way up and down, essentially the chain of command. Um, And there are so many opportunities for these things just to fall Mm. apart. Um, So a couple of my takeaways were that, hey, I'm shocked that anything ever gets made in Hollywood. And two, that anything good gets made. Um, cause now I kind of see how it works, but, uh, but we yeah. got lucky and it's all about that team you know, it's all about that team and having that trust. Yeah. And you can see that with you guys on, on your show, that's you have this trust yeah. together, you're making something amazing. And, uh, you know, that's how it was yeah. from the beginning on this thing with Chris Pratt and Antoine Fuqua and the showrunner and me, we all got together yeah. and we had this bond right from the beginning and then slowly started yeah. building out so the important. team from there. So, you yeah. know, it's like anything in life that, uh, that trust, you know, both up and down the chain of command to the sides, your peers, it's, yeah. uh, having that trust is, The most important part. And I think that's why we, uh, why we ended up getting this thing made.
1: Yeah. Well, it's all about energy, isn't it, mate? When you get the energy, right. And it flows. Something great happens. Yeah. And like in any sort of artwork, it's
0: that, uh, whether it's a book or a show, it's this intangible thing. And it's that heart. You know, it's, uh, yeah. and you can't really, yeah. there's not a formula for it, but, uh, but when you have it, when you watch it, whether it's a TV show or it's a movie or it's a painting or it's a sculpture or it's a, uh, it's a house, the architectural drawings of this house, um, book. I mean, it is when it has that heart, it's just that intangible, but you can't, you don't know ahead of time and you kind of, uh, until you, until you see it and then, and, and yeah. it's, it's, yeah, that heart is what stands out. But you can't tell somebody how to do it. There's not a formula. No, There's not a this A, B, C, no, no, D. No, then no. you get heart negative. It's yeah. like, it's this thing. And when you feel yeah, it- Yeah, you can't you buy it.
1: it. You can't borrow it. You can't, you can't, oh, yeah. It's, it's special when you get so, it.
0: Special when, it, when yeah, it works out that way. Absolutely. So. Well, I'll be
1: watching, mate. So oh, first of July, so much. I've been, I've been sitting. See- the previews oh, look amazing, mate. previews you. look so good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll be there that. for you, mate. Oh, yeah. you're awesome.
0: You're awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, love everything Pleasure. you have going on. And thank you for the for the inspiration and all the things that you guys do. And I hope everybody yeah. goes to your, your website and checks it out because it is. And that first picture that I talked about in the beginning with you with that art, <laughs> kind of that artwork on the kind of the background that makes this picture really Stand out. I mean, it's that's powerful. Um, so I hope everybody goes and checks out, checks out what you have going, you have yeah. going on, follows you just on a day to day basis because it's cool to follow along on this journey and th- through yeah. someone who's who's positive and inspiring. Um, and like we talked about, it's important who you follow these days. And that's, you know, yeah. that's why yeah. I follow you exactly. on the social channels. And that's yeah. why I have all these yeah. books. So, uh, so thank you so much for, for, uh, all you do and for sharing your story and being so honest about it in here. Cause this book, uh, this one right here, they're going to help. I mean, as you know, they've helped a ton of people and will continue mm. to help a yeah. ton of people. So man, thank you for everything.
1: Yeah. And, and listen, thank you for, for, um, having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been great to talk to you very natural, very flowing, and I've really enjoyed it. And. um I hope that we'll see, see each other face-to-face at some point soon. I
0: think so. I think so. That's, uh, yeah. I think that's inevitable. I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to happen. It's a given. That's right. That's yeah. right. Awesome, man. Well, hey, take care and reach out if you need anything. I'm always, I'm always here.
1: Yeah, will do, mate. All right, all the best. All right, take care. Take care.
0: Thanks for everything. The home buying experience can be a daunting one. Navy Federal Credit Union is here to help military members and their families tackle home ownership. They offer mortgage options with zero down payment, so you don't need to wait years to save. They offer mortgage options that don't require private mortgage insurance, so you'll save money each and every month. Members save $2,500 on average when they choose Navy Federal for their mortgage. With resources like Realty Plus, you can get an experienced real estate agent, and Navy Federal is a top VA home lender. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt. Not unsimilar to this one in the Amazon series adaptation of The Terminal list. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash danger close and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. Keep crushing. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, But SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all and they're always pushing, pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation, they crush. So thank you so much for that friendship and support. Uh, It will never be forgotten. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, in the blood. Thank you to everyone who made this a number one New York Times bestseller. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And right here, there were a few of these that I did special editions right there. You can see this is a, a shot through... Edition. So, I shot through this thing with a 338 Lapua, a Barrett, and uh, sent these to bookstores uh, across the country, small, independent, local bookstores, uh, kind of to give a little incentive to go and, uh, and help out those small businesses. So, there are a few left. A few have been discovered at Foxtail Bookshop and at Midtown Scholar Bookshop. Um, so, what happened was I shot through these. Uh, right there, that page right there sent these pages back to Simon and Schuster signed them. Um, and Simon and Schuster bound these into to uh, a few of the hardcover editions and those were shipped to these small independent bookstores. So if you want one Foxtail bookshop, and that is F O X T A L E bookshop, S H O P P E.com slash Jack Carr. So they have a few copies, as does Midtown Scholar. And that's M I D T O W N S C H O L A R dot com slash signed dash copies slash in dash the dash blood. But if you go to Midtown Scholar and just uh, type Jack Carr in the search bar, I'm sure it will pop up. Uh, Same thing with Foxtail bookshop. So those are the two independent bookstores that have uh, a few of these left or found a few of these. So right there, but they will not be around for long. Uh, a lot of people on book tour came up and asked where they could get uh, these. And at that time, I thought they were all gone. So just a few left at Foxtail and at Midtown Scholar. So if you want one, that's where you get them. All right. What else is going on here? July 1st. Huh. July 1st is will quickly be upon us, and The Terminal List, starring Chris Pratt, coming to Amazon Prime Video. And there's this hardcover edition that is out now. Uh, there's a foreword in here that I wrote that talks about how the book came to be, how the series came to be, and then there are a series of exclusive photos from the set, there's one right there that are in just the hardcover edition. So this hardcover edition is a special collector's edition, and once these are gone, they are gone. You can go to officialjackhar.com, go to the blog section if you're having trouble finding these, and there'll be links to uh, to where you can pick these up. There's also a paperback and a trade paperback, uh, but those ones don't have the forward or the photos, but they do have this guy on the cover. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. But um, July 1st, coming in hot. We'll be here just a few days. Amazing. Or just a couple days by the time this podcast goes up. And in conjunction with that, 5.11 Tactical has put together a uh, sweatshirt and 100% of the net proceeds go to the Navy SEAL Museum in Fort Pierce, Florida. And if you haven't been to Fort Pierce, Florida, if you're interested in special operations, obviously the SEAL team's make the trek down to Fort Pierce, Florida. Um, they've done an amazing job with that museum. They have SDVs there. Um, they have so much history uh, at Fort Pierce there at the museum, and they did such a good job. Uh, so definitely check check them out. Check them out on the website. It is navysealmuseum.org, and you can see what they have going on down there. But once again, here's the terminal list official sweatshirt right here, official hoodie. And you can go to 511tactical.com and just type into the search bar, the terminal list, and this will pop up. Or you can go to the 511 Tactical Instagram and just click on the, uh, the post that has the sweatshirt in it. So, uh, And they're awesome, by the way. I wore it on book tour and so many people asked about where they could pick one up. Well, now you can pick them up and you can know that 100% of those net proceeds go to the Navy SEAL Museum. NavySealMuseum.org. All right, what else is going on? Well, let's talk about some knives. So, Arno Bernard knives, I uh, got these through African Sporting Creations. I've had my eye on them for quite some time. This is a steak knife set. It comes in this really cool box right here, like a presentation case, actually. And whoo, 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 look at that. So, right here, AfricansportingCreations.com. This is a steak knife set that I have wanted for quite some time. And they have all different kinds. Each one is unique. Each one is different. Um, Yeah. And if you, uh, Arno Bernard knives made in South Africa. And right here, this is mammoth molar is what that is right there. But ooh, that feels good. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, African Sporting Creations. They have a whole bunch of great stuff on there, including the Courtney boots that uh, Rafe Hastings wears in my novels. And uh, yeah, African Sporting Creations. Uh, they're the only people that import those, those boots in. But yeah, look at that right there. Presentation case for the steak knives. And there they are. They're all padded. So I'll take that that foam out of here, but these just got here. Really cool. So once again, africansportingcreations.com. Click on the knives, click on the steak knives, and you can check out all the things they have going on there. All right. Also to commemorate the launch of the Terminal List series on Amazon Prime, starring Chris Pratt coming July 1st, my friends at Ball & Buck have created a Really cool shirt because that is 4th of July weekend. That July 1st is a Friday, but that's really 4th of July weekend. So they put together a 4th of July themed shirt to coincide with the release of the Terminal List. And there it is, Ball and Buck packaging. I'll use this other, or no Bernard knife right here. Look at that. Oh, that's, I like that. Very cool. Uh, yeah, this talks about the blade right here. Oh, kudu bone right there. And uh, this is a folder. There we go. Look at that. Also from South Africa, Arno Bernard right here from African Sporting Creations. So uh, let's go ahead and open this bad boy up. I don't want to cut the. Oh, that was sharp. Uh, check this out. I'm glad I didn't slice through the shirt right there. Oh, yeah. Look at that, let's open this bad boy up here. So ball and buck, go to ballandbuck.com on Friday, uh, the first, and that's when these drop. So yeah, look at that. So ball and buck collab right there. What does that say? Jack Carr right there. This is their Hunter's shirt right there. You can see it on the tag and 4th of July theme. Look at that, 4th of July themed ball and buck shirt. And what is that? Oh yeah cross tomahawks right there. Nice. Cross tomahawk right there. Nice. And somewhere in here. Yep. I don't know if I should say this because it's kind of like inside baseball, but there's a tag inside this shirt inside all of ball and bucks stuff that has the, uh, the second amendment in there. And look what they did here. Also, look at this. There's a, seal saying and something that we used in the show uh, because of the, the trust that we had with everybody there all the veterans that we had working on the terminalist show But uh long live the brotherhood right there is uh, is in that seam of this shirt so uh, very cool this is limited edition so they, once these are gone they will be gone forever and they also come with a signed edition of this hardcover I signed a uh, a bunch of these and sent them back to Ball and Buck. So um, with the shirt comes a signed copy of the book that has the new forward and has the exclusive photos from the set. So uh, Ball and Buck, thank you guys so much for doing this. And once again, this is limited edition. When these are gone, they are gone. But I'm telling you, 4th of July weekend, I will be rocking this bad boy right here. So Ball & Buck, thank you so much for your support over the years. And, uh, and Mark Bowman out there, founder, is a dear friend of mine and uh, is doing some amazing things. So uh, be sure to check out Ball and & Buck. And on Friday the 1st, you'll be able to get this shirt with a signed edition of the book to commemorate the launch of the show. All right. I think that is everything right there. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And man, Friday, July 1st, Terminalist is coming in the blood, shot through editions. Make sure you, you visit Foxtail Books and Midtown Scholar for one of those. And Bollen Buck, africansportingcreations.com, uh, Navy SEAL Museum, 511 Tactical. And thank you, everybody, for all the support. Friday, Terminalist coming in hot. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original. Presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Find out more about Ollie Ellerton on his website. That is O L L I E O L L E R T O N dot com. Follow him on the social channels, get the books, check out SAS Who Dares Wins. Awesome show. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. OfficialJackCar.com is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there. And jackcarusa.com is the merch. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And this Friday, July 1st, 2022, The Terminal List, starring Chris Pratt is coming to Amazon Prime Video. So uh, check that out. And you can also get a hardcover edition of The Terminal List. And in here, there's a new forward that uh, I wrote, talks about how the book came to be, how the series came to be. And then there are a series of photos in here, like these that are exclusive from the set. So you can check that out as well. If you have a hard time finding it, you can go to officialjackcar.com, hit the blogs, and uh, there'll be links to it from there. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting. your podcasts.